welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here for another spoiler special Deja Review of Jurassic Park. That's right, that's this month's film, nominated by Fran. I'm joined, of course, for this special episode by my paleontologist, Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. Steve McCall. No expense spared. <laughs> Gordon Webster. Good evening, Mr. Barry. And Scott Armour. Go! Go! <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Uh, that, that was great. That was a fantastic Ellie Sattler uh, impression there. Uh, yep, so we're obviously doing Jurassic Park. This is one of my all-time favourite films. I'm so glad this was nominated. We've obviously watched the film, and we're pretty much going to be going into spoiler detail for this. This is a film that released 1993, directed by Steven Spielberg. The same year he directed and released Schindler's List, which is still baffles me. We'll talk about that in more detail. But um, yeah, this film was an absolute box office success and is now considered one of the most influential films in cinematic history. One of the biggest films, certainly, of the 20th century. Um, and, and if you look at all the accolades this film uh, you know, has got and the amount of directors that have talked about it since and how it inspired them, this is a very important film to cover. So... Yeah, this is this is us. We're talking about Jurassic Park, guys. Let's first of all, we'll start with kind of going into our credentials. What's our history with this film? When did we? Well, I'm guessing we've probably all seen it when it first came out. Um, but what's um, what's the general? How many times have you watched it? Those kind of things. Scott, we'll start with you. Um, do you know what? It's, it's interesting. You see, it inspired a lot of a uh, lot of directors. It's unfortunate that it it didn't inspire the same level of sequels. Uh, and this franchise, unfortunately. Do you mean um, in the sense that the sequels have never matched this original film? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't know about you guys, but I'm also fresh off watching uh, Jurassic World Dominion, uh, and it's one of those ones where you watch Jurassic Park again. You can't help but think, "Fuck you, Steven Spielberg! How dare you make a film this good that you think it's going to have so many great sequels?" And then I had to sit through circa 10 hours of absolute rubbish. Mm. Well, I mean, he did come back for the sequel, and let's face it, the sequel has... It did die. It did die. This think in terms of strikes sort of scenario where everything was right for this film. <laughs> Aye. Um, no, I, 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 to be honest with you, I can't really remember... I can't really remember when I seen it. I don't think it wouldn't have been in the cinema. I would have been too young. Um, but I'm pretty sure we would have got it on... Um, VHS as soon as it became available um, and I think I'm probably going to speak for everyone uh, when you've seen the trailers you had you had no ref. I mean I think the only dinosaur thing that I could remember was like the land before time you know there was no other source material or reference material in terms of like live action dinosaur apart from like maybe some of the older uh, you know like stop motion uh, films etc but um I think when you see that trailer, the great thing with the trailer as well is like it didn't really show you a lot. It kind of just the main thing I remember from trailers was the it was like the T Rex foot standing in the mud. Yeah. You had the 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 cups of the water kind of resonating. You know, the, you didn't really get a lot, which was brilliant. Um, and then obviously watching the film, similar reactions to the actual actors in the film. Like obviously when uh, Grant and Sattler see the 
uh, Brachiosauruses for the first uh, Brontosaurus, is it? Uh, Brachiosaurus. You know, you're just it, it's just complete and utter awe and and wonderment watching the live action dinosaurs and especially back then like yeah like the cgi on it was just like out of this world like aye so as i say watching it as a wee boy i genuinely i genuinely could have, somebody could have said oh scott this is an actual documentary about a theme park that existed with dinosaurs and this is the kind of true story i'd probably have believed it mm-hmm. because it was it was just so immersive. Everything looked amazing. The Jeeps, the insignia, you know, it was the same as the obviously the movie title. Um, yeah, it, instant immersion into the world. Watching it, obviously, as an adult, with a more critical eye, you can pick up certain things. Maybe the plot's quite thin, etc. But still, though, it's just like you've got to put yourself back in 1993 and just, it, it was just an unbelievable moment in in cinema history yeah fran what about yourself yeah so i first saw the film in in the cinema in 1993 i think it was when it came out and uh, it was my uncle that took me to see it robert who has appeared on the, mm-hmm. the cast a few times and all i can really remember about going to see it in the, the cinema was the bit where the raptor shoots its face out from the cables underground and jumping out of, literally jumping out of my seat in the cinema, and all the adults around me laughing at it because it was because I was only like seven years old and I was there in the cinema seeing this film. <laughs> and uh, then my older cousin was very much into it as well, and he, he, you know, we both had the Jurassic Park toys, and I remember the Jurassic Park cups you'd get like at Burger King and. McDonald's and all you know all the things that you know I just I just have this real strong recollection of that era of of the toys and stuff as well but um and you know the dinosaur toys were incredibly high quality actually uh, they looked really good really really quite cool but um I mean as an adult I've watched it over the years and kind of gone back to it and I've always thought to myself when you look at the Jurassic Park franchise you're really looking at a, a perfect example of how the writing is everything because all the other films have this, you know, they have great effects and they have similar actors. There's, you know, there's actors that reprise their roles all the way through, right up to the last one, which I just recently watched as well. And what they don't have, though, is a an incredibly tight narrative. Yeah. That that everything else, everything else comes from that. Jurassic Park's a perfectly self-contained story. You can go in and watch that, and you're sort of imperceptively pulled along by the pacing of the film and the the plot developments as it goes on and you know that to me that's the that's the greatest triumph of, of the film Jurassic Park the original is that uh you know it really does it really does demonstrate the power of a great script and a well edited film yeah this really. is a, yeah this is something i noticed you're usually your focus usually is on tightness editing and writing and it's interesting that that is the the thing that struck with you most as well it is something that i noticed with the film yeah and one, one thing i would say as well is that jurassic park to me it's interesting what scott said about it being like a documentary right and i know as a child you could believe that but i do think that there's a there is a realness to jurassic park that doesn't exist in the other ones so from the lost world onwards it's as if the franchise has morphed slowly into a kind of a sci-fi franchise that yeah. is just a bit a bit kind of 
you know, it's a bit unbelievable. Whereas Jurassic Park, you, it's so it's so perfectly uh, clothed in the uh, in in the in the style of the time. It looks like it looks like it's happening in nineteen ninety three, or or nineteen ninety two or whatever, whenever it's supposed to be set. You get the big clunky white looking computers with the big CRT screens and the sort of daft like you know. Uh, ride thing they go on with the animation and you know what I mean yeah yeah, and all of all of the kind of (laughs) the brightly coloured cars and the lunch boxes and everything in that visitor centre all the products lined up it looks so plausible and that allows you I think even as an adult to watch the film and you kind of buy into the reality of the world that you're watching in a way that you can't do with the later films because there's a whole meta thing going on with films, especially nowadays, where you very, you, you know, I, I, I big popcorn flicks and and triple A titles that come out, you know, movies, your kind of big ticket movies that come out. You, I, I, I very rarely, really buy into them now in terms of believing what's going on and be like, yeah, I really buy this. Like this is something I could relate to. <laughs> Whereas Jurassic Park does have that. You could you could see yourself being there and being terrified the way that they all were. Yeah. No, I fully agree. Uh, a very immersive film, and it took its science fiction elements seriously enough. Um, the exposition was done so well with the dino DNA stuff that you were able to to kind of get the gist of what it was telling you without it, uh, you know, clunking the film down, slowing the film down. Obviously, I think anyone who knows maybe about the real science would probably be able to say that's ridiculous and, and tear it apart, but. It's uh, for a popcorn movie. It works perfectly, and that's why. Um, okay, Gordon, what about yourself? Well, I think it was seeing the Lost World. The first sequel was, and I would have been quite young at the time. There was a big resurgence, I think, in the the Jurassic Park franchise, and that was when I actually got into. It. I never saw Jurassic Park at the time. I was probably too young. And at the time, I kind of liked the Lost World, but you go back to this. I have I've gone back and I've rewatched Jurassic Park a lot, and yeah, it's a, it's really up there for me. Uh, like I think most kids of our generation, dinosaurs is part one of the things you're into when you're a young child growing up. And I was well before I got into the Jurassic Park franchise. When I say franchise, I'm pretty much talking the first two films. I was um, I always had you know loads of toy dinosaurs. My first bedroom wallpaper I remember was dinosaurs and actually I think my mum had to get rid of it because I get scared by it so I don't know if it was like <laughs> I wanted it in the first place but uh, do you know and do you know as well like the yeah I mean the, one of these big film blockbuster franchises you get all of the the paraphernalia all the toys and stuff like that and um, I always remember as a kid the, the, you were talking Fran about how cool loads of the these things were. There, you get a Dilophosaurus one, which you pour water inside it and it would spit it out, which I thought was pretty cool. And um, I always remember when my friend... Do you ever remember... Like, this must have been one of the earliest dinosaur computer games. Do you ever remember one... I think it was just a little handheld device. It was called Dinosaur Valley. Steve, have you maybe heard of that? I actually know. Oh, man, it's probably from the 80s or something, but... You just somebody reminded me of it there yeah. when you were talking, and I, I would say as well, man, this film. I think if if I got this right, sixty three million pounds was the or is that dollars? Uh, dollars, yeah. Sixty three million dollars was the budget for Jurassic Park. Its return at the box office was one point zero four six billion. That is huge. Yeah, that's 
Yeah, one of I the biggest was, I've heard. It's been re-released it, a few times to help, yeah. but, but that doesn't mean to say to take away what it has done. The film is incredible for what it, the, you know that box office success is, cannot be understated. Yeah, I think it was the it was either the digital or the three D release or the re-release that that took it over the billion. Um, I think in just in the initial release, it was it was just under a billion, which is still <laughs> still rid- yeah ridiculous return for sixty three million. Yeah, if I saw that written down, I just saw like one bill. But even if I'm like just under a bill, and that's still huge. Like, I can't really think of anything as big as it's that. Not... I don't tend to look at that, but that's huge. It was it's the most successful me. film for years. Titanic yeah, beat no. it in 1997, um, but it remained in the sort of the top echelon of film successes. And it still, I suppose, is. It's in the top 40 all time of most successful films, I think. I mean, when you say 63 million, right? Obviously, that's a ton of money when you think about when you think about movie blockbusters these days that's that's nothing you know that's dropping the ocean when you consider like the multiverse of madness doctor strange was up in the 200 millions which is bonkers that still breaks close to a billion but for that budget to be 63 million for the film to look the way it looked especially in 1993 like that achievement is just insane not only that it's like couple of there's a couple of cgi moments where i thought looked a wee bit hmm but you've got to consider that was like you know never before seen the um, thing is i, I, I think I, it, still, it still stands up to the to look, the most part today i agree with that i, I think funnily enough actually apart from the you know there may be similar bits that i've noticed where i've thought that as well but on the whole, I actually think that the effects in the film are so good that they, in some ways, actually look better and a little bit more real yeah. than the, the than the more modern iterations. There's a I kind of a there's a kind of a bl- a nice blend of practical effects and CGI. I think at times as well that, I, I, and I think also with some of your earlier maybe maybe Jurassic Park is unique in this regard because cgi then became maybe a little bit overused at some points but before before its time but i feel like jurassic park they, they put so much thought into it because mm. of the limitations of technology whereas nowadays it's a wee bit willy-nilly isn't it um at times it's like oh yeah whatever we'll just slam the, the, those effects yeah, in there whatever yeah shake shake the camera around a bit whatever blah 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 whereas there's almost kind of an apex moment, like a perfect moment in time where practical effects and CGI existed in such a form to, for that film to be made. I think <laughs> because if you look at the yeah. if you look at the prequel trilogies for Star Wars, some of the CGI in those is shocking. You mm. get like Harry Potter films, like the Quidditch matches. It's like ragdolls flying about in the air and all that, no bones in their body, like they're just flopping about. Yeah. Um, so there was it, a time. There was a period of time, like late, I'd probably say late nineties, early two thousands, where it just went fucking mad. Um, you know, even I always think back to like, well, probably one of the worst, uh, it's maybe not summer blockbuster, but Mortal Kombat Annihilation has easily some of the worst CGI uh, ever seen uh, in a film. But like, even when you think about like the Matrix Reloaded, you know, the scene where it's just, it's just Keanu Reeves pre-rendered like a PS3 cutscene. For, for an entire section of the film. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like and then there's so many Smiths and then it's just like Yeah, it's the, like the good, the good thing about Jurassic Park is especially the, the T Rex scene where they're so clever and he's so clever Spielberg and how he does it, uses the camera so it's it's an easy transition between practical and CGI. And yeah. actually 
it's not it's not blatantly obvious most of the time in Jurassic Park. Some of it is, but some of it, especially the T-Rex scene, there's so much practical T-Rex. I mean, Stan Winston and his team literally built the entire, like, a real-size, life-size, yeah, you know, 9,000-pound fucking animatronic T-Rex. Yeah. So it's like going between that and the CGI and doing it clever and smart, it's like you, you don't notice it, but... Yeah, you notice the, you know, the. I've recently watched The Phantom Menace again, and it's just, it's so jarring because it's like, so the, you can just tell the humans are in front of a green screen, and it's just a case of, right, let's go carte blanche, let's go crazy with these, the CGI. Yeah. Um, and it can, it can take you out of a film. I think in, in terms of the balance, probably was budgetary. I know we covered Robocop recently, and it, some of this, you know, the stop motion and that kind of hasn't aged well but it still it still doesn't take away from the kind of i don't know the, the the magic of the film and i think even if you go back to spielberg's first success jaws like i still think that that's got some of the best special effects and actually a better although although poor bruce by the end of the film was a bit bashed up like that that shark still looks better than most of the cgi shots that's been tried yeah um you know like recently. Yeah. Can maybe go into that because later I was going to mention Jaws, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Gordon, you were, uh, were you uh, anything more on your sort of first experiences with the film? No, I'll, I'll, no, not really. I just I, <laughs> we'll get on to our, our thoughts rewatching it because it's quite a long time since I did see it. But I'll give uh, Mister McCall the floor. Okay, Steve. Thank you for the floor. <laughs> Um, I I may have seen this film once at some point in the past. <laughs> the background. Um, oh yeah. Uh, oh fuck. Um, but Look, yeah, see, this... honest, Steve, see that picture? It looks as if the T Rex is like looking lovingly into the car. Like it looks as if. It... <laughs> yeah. It doesn't because it it's just like little... leaning down and be like, is that not the porn version <laughs> of the film? You've, you've got... <laughs> it's just, just like played... a friendly dog. Hey. Yeah. You just played Shazam <laughs> over this. Shazam, brah. Um. So I this was pretty much a first watch for me like I, I think i may have watched it some point years back but it's not one i had a, a great deal of experience with it's one i was familiar with the hyper and particularly at the time i remember a lot of the the chat about it being completely revolutionary and in complete fairness to it it is completely revolutionary for this i mean it's it's incredible watching it and thinking this is 1993 i mean there are points where it, the the film definitely dates itself into 1993, like the the girl going, "Oh my god, it's an interactive CD-ROM." Uh. <laughs> but um, that made me all my. I remember those; they're brilliant. But um, beyond that, I mean, the the chat about the the CGI and the animatronics for the time. I know there was talk of um, in the the previous podcast about when there were. Um, when Spielberg was sort of planning or making Jurassic Park, and I think he'd looked at the potential of doing stop motion for the dinosaurs instead of CGI. And I, I just can't imagine this film being anywhere near as good if they tried to use that form of technology. I don't think it would have caught the public imagination as well. And it's 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 fun. I think it's the only real word I can really just use to describe this film. It doesn't require a lot of thoughts or analysis or concentration as fran mentioned it's a concise story dead easy to follow big islands people come to see it play shots big storm people get stuck dinosaurs 
run a walk. That's pretty much um, the plot summed up. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, podcast guys. over. <laughs> Take off the plot section. <laughs> it is really one of the simplest plots out of some of the blockbuster films, but that's kind of the beauty of it. Is Jaws simpler, would you say? The beauty of it. Oh, good point. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, that's maybe... Um, I mean, this, of course, was originally a Michael Crichton novel. And, you know, the general story for this comes from the novel. And then, of course, Jaws came from Peter Benchley, who was the author of that novel. But I would say, actually, though, Jaws um, differed a bit more. Um, It it changed a a few more um, central things. But Jurassic Park, from what I can gather, I've not read Crichton's novel, but pretty much follows the novel quite closely. And, yeah, just like sometimes the, the simplest stories, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, sometimes the simplest stories are the best. Yeah. yeah. These days... You can get convoluted and you end up sitting there for 20 minutes going, right, what the hell happened? Who's that? Why are they linked to who? There was no ambiguity whatsoever over who every character was. They were all so distinct. Um, I mean, I'll get on to how incredible Jeff Goldblum is. He stole this film from me. I yeah. think his character is fantastic. He just plays it so well. He is just <laughs> excellent. Um, and then on top of that, you've got the way this film sounds. The, I mean, the obviously the John Williams um, soundtrack to it, but also the the actual ef- the sound effects. Yes. I mean, yep. the, the dinosaurs look terrifying, but coupled with the effects, the, the sounds that they make, it's genuinely terrifying it's brilliant i mean i know fran said he jumped out of his seat when he was seven um three four times that age and i still jumped out of my seat it was great yeah it's just it's such a a fun piece of work to to sit and watch i think that was my main kind of takeaway from it excellent just for just for just for context the noise i made at the start was the velociraptor was it, it was a velociraptor oh yeah yeah i thought it was the gala but you know all right one of, one of the great things about this film scott is though We'll, we ne- I don't think we will ever know, and nobody knew at that time what these dinosaurs would have sounded like, but they created really great dramatic sound effects, like through recording wild animals, recording yeah. like walruses, horses, and cows, and, and like just enhance. I think they maybe did a similar thing with Star Wars. I mean, you get a, a feel of that with some of the, you know, the character noises and uh, like languages, if you were in those films. But it's, um, it's, um, I mean, to come, to come up with, you know, it's, that's why I think the f- I, I can see why I think it was Fran said about it feeling believable, but I'll I'll expand on that later on. Like this is yeah. the film that is it ILM were used for this, and it, it was yeah. kind of Luke, Lucas um, pioneered a lot of some of the, the the sound advances from this film. And I think that this is also the film from a, a CGI point of view also gave him the courage and confidence to actually do the prequels which actually is a bit of a downfall for jurassic park in that respect but um just seeing the power and and what the possibilities of what the advancements in technology could could do for film yeah but the sound and specifically is fantastic like the the way that each dinosaur does sound different and yeah the creative ways they've done it like i i I was like I think there was a scene at the start. It's that first Velociraptor scream as the the workers are trying to kind of move it into the containment unit, and it makes that it's this horrible screech kind of sound. Um, it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh, I, I, it just gives me the gives me a kind of it kind of gives me the creeps a little. It's just it works so well. Yeah, it's very good. Have you seen the making of the sounds? So see the see the raptor. Uh, there's I think there's like eleven different sounds that they use for like all the raptors 
this the sound effect that I was trying to do, you know, the call, call. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of talking to each the other. ones in the kitchen that the calls on his buddy. Call, call, Or she call. calls on her Yeah, there was various ones, yeah, because there was, I, I, was, I wasn't even thinking of that, but that's quite a prominent one, but... So that's a, that's a tortoise. Tortoise. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. That's what Jesus. they did. They adapted real animal noise and blend them yeah. together. So not only is it very creative, but I also feel about the film that there was a. It wasn't too fantastical, and that it was very well researched in terms of they got they actually got um, real life um, paleontologists on board. One I think one in particular, and they properly did their research yeah. and learned about dinosaurs, and it, it comes across in the action. Yeah, I can't remember. I think is it Jack Horner or James Horner? I know there's a there's a James uh, Horner's the the music composer musician. Uh, it might be Jack Horner, but it was a. Um, you're right, Gordon. They got a. Uh, an expert and actually um, I'm pretty sure like Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum actually went away and and done proper research in like museums with this guy um, like Laura Dern actually like you know examined fossils and stuff like that in fact no sorry I tell a lie Jeff Goldblum I don't know the chap's name but he actually went and spoke to a, a, a real a practicing like either chaotician or whatever he was he was meaning to be and actually speaking about chaos theory and stuff like that. But you're right, the expert was on um on set. Yeah. Yeah. Just just quickly, Gordon, I know you said that the in terms of the novel, I haven't read the novel, but from the research I done, they they rehashed the the script quite a bit from the novel. The novel is a lot more uh, graphic um, yeah. and violent. And Steven Spielberg basically just said this isn't going to be like that. Um, it's going to be more of a, you know, it needs to be like kind of kid friendly. The kids and the and the and the humans coming into the heroes and stuff like that. Um, it still doesn't mean that the film's not scary because it absolutely is. But no, it could have been much it was, more. It could have been. I. It was. It was definitely yeah. toned down. Uh, yeah, they yeah. took about. I think they've taken out about six. I don't know what the percentage would be, but they've only maybe used maybe about 60% or or something like that. And it's they've essentially taken the structure and the concept and the names of most of the characters. But there's a whole section at the start that's completely been eradicated. And some of it's actually been used for The Lost World. Like, apparently the novel, uh, Mm -hmm. the first book starts with the scene with the little girl getting attacked by the little... Is it what the Gallim- uh, Com? Gallimimus. No, no, yeah. Gallim- no, that was the first one. Uh, yeah. Cons, Cons begins with that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, those Cons dinosaurs. Yeah, those little dinosaurs. That the scene yeah. starts with the little Com- English girl. Comps- Compsognathus it is. <laughs> Our dinosaur expert there chiming in. Thank yep. you. Uh, yeah, so that stuff like that, there's been a lot of reworkings. Apparently in the book, there's also a scene with, you know, because none of the, in Jurassic Park in the film, there's no pterosaurs at all. There's no there's no flying dinosaurs, which <laughs> there is a section in the book. And that was then taken out of the, of the film. I think there was concept art done for it, but then reused in Jurassic Park 3. Um which at the time I loved because of that because I loved the idea of seeing these dinosaurs and there was a few other things taken out there was like a, an entire huge action sequence with a T-Rex with the T-Rex chasing them down water rafts um but they deemed yeah. it sort of a little too difficult to film um and things like that he so. still used so see the so um BD Wong's character um what's his name Dr Wu Dr Wu yeah so he in the book is he is like killed graphically but actually see see when grant is um you know the boy that it's like uh uh that doesn't look scary 
like a six foot turkey. Yeah. So see, so see when Grant absolutely eviscerates that boy's confidence, when he's explaining like they could maybe cut you here or here or else split your belly and spill your intestines, that's the way that Dr. Wu dies in the book. Ah, right. Yeah. So, or, or very, because very, it is very graphic where it kind of, you know, I think his intestines were split and he, he obviously whatever but that's a graphic the novel kind of goes into detail but that was like a kind of ode to well we're not going to film that obviously you know Dr. Wu lives um, unfortunately for the rest of the franchise but uh, yeah, that was that was the wee ode to that they've, they've changed a few things Dr. Uh, I think Malcolm's character apparently was a bit more I don't know about a straight character not making he's not making funny jokes or anything like that he's not the, the kind of the one-liner machine that he is in this film, and also well, things. Was, well. I think he was more portrayed as, because um, obviously you've got the scene with the T Rex, and Gennaro is the first to just bail. He's just like, I'm oh, that's right, yeah, yeah. So, but I think it was actually Jeff. Not not sure if it was the same as the the in the book, but I think Jeff Goldblum actually he he suggested uh, Malcolm takes the flare mm-hmm. because in the book Malcolm just runs away as well, and Jeff Goldblum. I don't think he was too keen on his character being the kind of, you know, I'm going to run at the first sign of trouble type thing. It's totally, um, totally right, though. Like that, you, 100%. As much I as think it, he's, a bit of a, he's a bit of a sleazebag. And yeah, what's the point in having two characters that run away? Like, yeah. that's the whole point. Everyone had their own distinctive solution and reaction. Yeah. Grants was the the, the, the the smart one. He's the one that actually is experienced with the dinosaurs and knows, well, not experienced, but he knows what he was talking about and knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, Gennaro is the coward, and then obviously Malcolm. Which well, Jeff Goldblum's vision there, I think, is perfect because Ian Malcolm is the sort of guy who would try to do the right thing to look good. Like he's trying to impress Laura Dern, probably. Like he's like, I'm, he's a, I'm a brave, I'm a brave man as well. Yeah, I can, I can he, join in. He's a fucking rock star. Honestly, see the scene. It's any. I think any other film or any other actor. I don't think it would have landed well, right? But see the scene where they, they see the the um old triceratops, mm-hmm. right? And he just swaggers out that car and he's walking down. He's got the leather jacket off. By the way, who wears black leather jackets in Hawaii? I've got no idea, right? That guy must have sweated. Well, we know he sweats <laughs> later on in the film when the shirt's undone. Uh, but he just, he, the shirt's a wee bit undone. The sleeves are up. He just swaggers down to this fucking not well triceratops as if he, as if he's in some kind of like swinger bar <laughs> you know what I mean? the hips are going the chest suit and he's just like what's going on here it's just hilarious the way he portrays malcolm in this film is just it's so good and i don't think anyone else could have done it um i think yeah. there was other who was that someone there was else a, there was a host oh jim carrey jim carrey was jim carrey yeah jim carrey could you imagine jim carrey no. playing the role <laughs> all, all i can imagine is him being the Riddler as Ian Malcolm, that's all I can imagine. Yeah, like that doesn't work for me at all. Uh, it's interesting though to see see films where you see big stars early in their career when they're supporting characters because that was why I enjoyed Sam Jackson in this film because um, he still had he was still very magnetic and he had, he had all these uh, great lines like one in particular. And uh, it, it's quite interesting to imagine the likes of Jim Carrey and. Because I would say, like Ian Malcolm, he's he's more of a supporting character. I always think of more um, Sam Neill and Laura Dern as the 
the main top of the cast, really. Yeah. Mate, Samuel L. Jackson is just a fucking advert for cigarettes in this film. Yeah. Like, honestly, the amount he's smoking. I was going to say, Fran, b- before we started the podcast, obviously it's a it's an audio podcast, so, you know, listeners can't watch us, but see, just for the purposes of this, for the rest of this podcast, can you just have a cigarette in your mouth when you're speaking? Well, that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, talking about um, Samuel L. Jackson smoking made me want to get a cigarette <laughs> ready. Well, it's uh, funny, um, uh, the... The a fun fact is Samuel L. Jackson actually quit smoking before Jurassic Park, and Steven Spielberg. So they're they're fake cigarettes, but Steven Spielberg deliberately went out to find the worst tasting fake cigarette, just so um, Samuel L. Jackson didn't kind of fall off the wagon again and go back smoking. Oh, I was I thought that story was going to go somewhere. Essentially, he was going to become addicted because of this film. There, but I'm <laughs> no, glad no. it went that no. way. You know, talking about um about characters, uh, there is uh, Muldoon. Yeah, I was, was going to say let's okay. So we've we've also we're kind of jumping around. So let's just focus on the characters as we've been doing. Then, so I'll let you go. Yeah. Muldoon, then, well, well, it was just this. Um, uh, what's the actor's name? Rob uh, Robert Peck. Bob, Bob Peck. Bob Peck. Right. Okay. Um. So I think. You know, even the casting of smaller roles like Muldoon was perfectly done. Yeah. I mean, Muldoon came across absolutely as the quintessential hunter. Yeah. Like, that's that sort of person. See, the, the thing is, what's funny about the film is that you've got a couple of people who could have been the hero, so to speak. You've got sort of Sam Neill's reluctant hero. You've got um, Ian Malcolm's aspirational hero, wants to prove mm. himself. You've got Muldoon's pragmatic, cold as ice, uh, emotionless hero to the point where he's just about to die, yeah, and he and he doesn't even react. Do you know what I mean? Well, see, the thing is, I think the thing about Muldoon is, is that Muldoon want, he thinks they should all be destroyed. Like yeah. he, it's a strange kind of dynamic because he's obviously there. Well, I suppose it's mainly the Raptors that he says that. What about, it, but... what about the license? What is it he calls it? What about the license? You contingency. The contingency. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. love the way he says paddock as yeah. well. He's like, yeah. Quiet, yeah, like quiet, all of you. We're into the Tyrannosaur paddock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I mean he's he's, he's perfect. He's perfect. Oh, he's amazing. Ah, oh, he's amazing. And, yeah, that's and, like a theatre actor right there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there's. Uh, it's difficult actually to talk about this film I mean in some ways I'm glad I chose it but I also regret it because it's difficult to find it's difficult to talk about all the good things because there's so many and it's also difficult to find flaws because there's not really well, we'll yeah we'll get to any flaws but well, we'll keep, we'll keep, we'll keep flaws, on so. with the general the characters, the characters. Yeah, so let's, the, let's stick to well, characters we'll, we'll start okay. with the support and then we'll move up to the, the main ones more particularly well the Sticking on, sticking with Muldoon, and again, we can only really, I think I can only really reference it um, in terms of comparing it against the sequels, right? So the thing that I like about Muldoon is that he he seems grounded. He is fearful of the Raptors. Like, he respects them, and he's fearful because he's he, he, he literally says, like, they are intelligent, they are smart, and we should fear these creatures, whereas Hammond's, Hammond just... He's just blinded by the the wonderment, you know. It's like he sees oh, dollar signs. Yeah, it's a wee baby raptor. It's all about oh fuck me. And Muldoon's kind of like measure all be destroyed. Yeah, you know that's that's actually one of the first like lines he says to everyone. And you kind of think, wow, that's crazy. But then you fast forward it to like Jurassic World, and you've got a guy training raptors, and you've got the fucking government 
training them to be killers. And it's just like, how did we get from <laughs> how did we get from like hunters and people being fearful of these creatures and obviously respect them to the fact that it's just like let's just make them uh, you know into into killers and we can use as weapons. Well, bad um, bad, bad writing, I would say. Yeah, exactly, that is what it and is. I think, and I think that's why I I like Mulden's character um, as much as I like his his PE teacher shorts and the socks. What a look he's got, by the way. I know, um, but. Uh, I, I like the fact that he is obviously you're right, Fran. He comes across as that cold as ice killer hunter, but he's also he's also respectful and fearful of the animals as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I quite like that. And yeah. you know the the character side of things, right? I, I, this is another thing that I think Jurassic Park shares with other classics, classic potentially standalone movies you could watch, like Star Wars, because in Star Wars you've got R two D two and C three PO who 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 represent the audience. Right, and very much in this film, I think that was the idea for the two kids um, in the film to represent a large part of the audience. Yeah, certainly the younger audience, certainly. Mm. Uh huh. So you, but but I don't think it's just them. I think I think the kids give it away, right? And it's a it's a very clever technique where there are enough different types of character to go on the journey with throughout the film that, that most demographics going to see the film can identify. You've got. The, the more elderly people there um you've got um diff, you've got you know your swaggering malcolm type you've got your anti-social sam neil you've got laura dern who's very very sort of uh open-minded but also concerned you've got the kids you know you've got all these different characters that are so finely right. crafted you forgot to... the the sleazebag uh hacker character that betrays the entire park for his own benefit. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I mean, even that's and true. Blood sucking I mean, lawyer. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the a blood sucking lawyer. And even Samuel L. Jackson's character. You know, everybody. Know, I mean, there's a lot of people out there who will know what it's like to be frustrated in an office environment. Like, yeah, like true. environment. Like, like there's a re- there's a reality to these characters that the audience can identify with, and it reminds me of that. I feel like it sort of it took the technique used in Star Wars for taking the audience on the adventure and it expanded it out to all of the cast. That's what I love yeah, I think again, about the office yeah. politics. We'll talk about Nedry anyway later, but mm-hmm. the office, the fact that we have a scene sort of de- depicting the office politics, you can tell there is <laughs> history with him and Hammond. Dennis, I'm not having getting brought into one of your arguments or whatever, and then they're talking about the fact he's yeah. not getting paid enough and all that. Kind of, oh, brilliant. So and, and his de- desk is all messy, remember? Oh, that his desk like, is a shambles, what is man. It, what like, is it he says? He's like, disgusting. Samuel yeah. Jackson like, shoves slab. all the stuff. What is this slab? <laughs> While he's obviously fucking smoking yeah. a heater. <laughs> they got the sound effects just right there as well. Just the noise of all the cans getting moved out of the way. Yeah. I was going to say the bit where Dennis goes off. Do you remember that bit where he goes off? He's like, "Does anybody want a want a soda or or whatever?" Oh, man, that, that, to... that was a great scene. Oh, man. that is just so like, how did they not? See, I know. You done like that, Dennis, what are you what are you doing? Yeah, like, do, do, what are you doing, Dennis? I, I just, uh, like, it's just going to go on a cycle hunt. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you you get something sweet and then you need to get going <laughs> sleep. And I'm just want to just, and you're just like, Dennis, come on, cut the shit. What are you doing? Oh man! <laughs> so, you know, my, my dad hated it because my, my dad. I remember years ago saying he didn't like it because Dennis had the same name as him. Oh, so he, was, he was annoyed. He was like, oh, "Dennis, my name's got a bad reputation now." Um, <laughs> um, yeah, because there's not very many 
big Dennis characters in films, is there? Let, let's talk about more. We'll move, we'll, we'll move on to Nedry then. Uh, Nedry is, uh, you know, a fantastic character. Uh, I think, is it Wayne, Wayne Knight that plays him? Wait. <clears throat> was that not, sorry, not it's doing, I think you're right, Wayne Knight. Um, uh, uh, interesting yeah. for the, the casting, apparently Steven Spielberg, um, when he finished Basic Instinct, he made a point of watching the credits roll so he could see ah, who sure. the actor was because he was like he is going to be he is going to play the bad guy in jurassic park yeah that's i think that's such a cool endorsement yeah like, there's another little bit as well remember when dodson turns up and he's like hey dodson dodson's here dodson, we've got dodson here nobody cares don't get cheap on me dodson Oh, that bit's hilarious. I forgot about the don't get cheap on me. Aye. It's so good. I never understood that when I was younger. Yeah, so But it's like, he, the bill gets put down and you just see you just see Nedry's eyes look at the bill and look at Dad's. <laughs> I like um, him. <laughs> that, and as well, that sort of squealy laugh that Nedry has. At first I thought, is it the sh- I used to think when I was younger, it's the a noise from the shaving can, but I think it's actually him laughing. Oh, yeah. Something yeah, about that. Well, him, him laughing and him... Uh, squealing in absolute agony while he's getting torn to pieces by a dinosaur. Oh man, yeah. Speaking uh, of it, the one thing about Nedry, I would say, right, very clever. Um, but man, he has got to be the worst fucking driver you've ever seen on screen. Uh, like that guy. It's well, like, it was a torrential what, downpour what is he, and storm. What, and what stuff? is he doing, man? He just literally just drives right into the sign. Yeah, it was pretty. Bad. <laughs> it's just like, what is he doing? Um, uh. I don't know if he's noticed as well. He's actually watching. I don't know. I can't remember what the scene is. He's actually watching Jaws uh, on one of the computers when it's kind of showing him and sitting in the seat. Amazing. Quite cool. Fantastic. But another thing as well. Did you ever have you ever actually noticed? See when he's talking to the guy at the docks, right? It's obviously meant to be live. You ever notice that it's actually just a video playing? You can actually see the scroll oh, at the bottom. Oh yeah. Was, and what they've done clever is they've put the mouse, they strategically placed the mouse over the play and pause button so you can't actually see it. <laughs> so it's literally it's literally just a video file. Oh playing. my god. It's hilarious. I feel I feel a bit stupid now. Like uh, hoodwinked. I, I, I like that because it's like, what's the point what of the, trying the to The thing is, in those days that was high tech, wasn't it? Really? What's the point of trying to plow money into ILM to say, right, you know, create as a fucking state-of-the-art interface well we obviously see that towards the end with the what does she call it what kind of Unix, system is that? Uh, uh, Unix. <laughs> Unix system. Oh. It's, got be, it's got to be the least practical system it's like why have you just not got a folder system why well, have you just not got a folder system? Uh, <laughs> it's like i want to get to the park i need to wait three hours <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, think, I, think, I think that was part of the part of the thing was the um the, the Unix systems were around in the sixties, I think, and they they were they were sort of one of those old reliables. Mm. You're sort of you you tend to find Unix is used in the banking world and things like that. So it's that sort of idea that like I think I think it was quite a clever nod in there to have that in there that they were they were using a very old. It definitely adds to the tension because this Raptor is literally coming through the door. And you're watching this system trying its absolute best to catch up, and it's like, holy Christ, <laughs> this is going so slow. Um, it is one of those moments in the film where, uh, you know, just for pure convenience, of course, she's a hacker, and they mention it at one point in the film just to, but then at the same time, it gives her character a bit more depth 
and also gives her something to do other than screaming all the time. It gives her, yeah, it gives her something. Like. Yeah. We'll talk. Let's talk about know. Lex then, and the, and the kids. I think it just. I think the the idea of giving Lex something it could have been any one of the characters that was a hacker. Like, see, for me, obviously, like Malcolm, he gets wiped out of the film very early on. Like, but part of me would have loved to have like Malcolm hearing over the radio. Oh, I, I know how to use that system, and then him hobbling across Jurassic Park with shot undone. Yeah, you know, you know, breaking into the fucking thingy. That that's what I wanted. I'm I wanted glad. Use the computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, unique. <laughs> Life finds a way. Uh, no, I think uh, I'm glad. <laughs> How good would that have been? I don't think that you would have been good at you all. Imagine, <laughs> you imagine you hear the raptor outside the door going, "There's like, what's like a fuffle," <laughs> and then Grant and that look at each other. Like, what was that? And then the door opens and it's Malcolm standing there with shot under. <laughs> Say life finds a way. Ah, ah, ah. Life uh, <laughs> uh, finds a way. Well, uh, there it is. Uh. Oh man, what are you gonna do? Pull their skirts up? <laughs> <laughs> I think that because um, that's from the hatching scene, isn't it? With the the Velociraptor, um, young. I think that's a very important scene because it, it's that foreboding. It's before any of the real everything starts kicking off. And um, and it's funny because Steve obviously said um, Jeff Goldblum's kind of the star of the film. I mean, I like him in it. I wouldn't personally say he was the star of the film. I, I would actually probably say more Sam Neill and Laura Dern, but he's that's a very important function that he has. I find later on, um, Dr. Malcolm, he's not really doing a lot of value, unless I've forgotten something. After he gets that injury from the T-Rex, he's not really doing a lot of value, but that is such an important scene and such... Such a tense scene, I think, as well. See when um obviously the, the young Velociraptor's coming out of the egg and uh and Hammond's like, push, push. And then and one one thing also is really important there is like as Dr. Grant leans down and it's the panic in his face. He says to the the scientist guy you mentioned, You breed raptors here? And he's like, Yeah, yeah, we breed them here. I mean that that's a really good scene. I think there's maybe a bit there's a bit in a little but uh, William's score suddenly changes as well, and that's just a very important foreboding moment, and it focuses in on the head of that little baby velociraptor. Oh, it yeah. zooms in on it. It's that is really masterfully done. That whole scene, I think, in that that room. Definitely. I think, that's the, I think that's the start of the the wonderment sort of dissipating, and the the reality setting in with the likes of Grant and and Sattler because the Obviously, the dinner scenes later, but um, Malcolm is the one that kind of sets up all the kind of. He he's the one that's kind of going. Well, wait a minute. Have he's actually thought if he should do this? Uh, and then obviously that's when Sattler's kind of like it's not just the dinosaurs; it's like the plant life as well. You know, you see her picking up one of the the plants outside and kind of going. We actually don't know anything about these species, um, and I think that was that was the. The um, you know, the the specialists in their field talking, as opposed to, holy fuck, that's a dinosaur! I can't believe that's a dinosaur. Do you know what and, I mean? And do you know what's so so be- so much better about Jurassic Park than any of the sequels, particularly the Jurassic World ones, is that Jurassic Park can convey that idea of foreboding about what a world could be like if this was out of control without having to show it to you, mm-hmm. without having to show you the pterodactyls flying next to helicopters, and um big giant things 
eating fishing boats and lions versus raptors or whatever. It doesn't need... It, that can be achieved through dialogue in that meeting scene. And again, foreboding, I think, is a lot more powerful than uh, the, than the supposed payoff, in a sense, because you get a preview of what would happen to the world. That's the reason it's set in a park, right? Um, that you can't control these animals or whatever. Whereas I feel that that's lost in later films, where it's it, it's like I always I always imagine it as the Resident Evil Two theory, right? Which is where I remember, um, as this was when I got over my terror of Resident Evil, <laughs> but I remember playing Resident Evil Two, and there's a point in it where you're going through the police station, and you find a corpse, and it says this corpse's head has been twisted off. Right, and there's blood everywhere, and you see little hints of a creature moving behind the windows and things like that. The moment the creature appears, it is less scary than the build-up, because the build-up is that is what's creating that tension inside you. You're thinking, what is coming? What is around this corner? You know. So I think Jurassic Park does it masterfully. The way Spielberg used facial expressions to do that is absolutely astounding. That was one of the main takeaways I found Mm. with that. But as you said, you didn't you didn't see what was going on. You saw the characters' reactions to what was happening, and that I I think in a way was more powerful than, as you've pointed out, seeing you know someone being ripped apart or a dinosaur running towards you because you you don't know what's going to happen, but you know it's something bad from the terrified look on on their face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Steve, do you know? genius I'm sorry on you i know if you finish i was just gonna say like do you not agree there there was a few scenes like that where it's not so much the action the screen just the the tension created in some of the dialogue scenes especially early on the yeah it's 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 somehow both dialogue and lack of dialogue there's the scenes where nobody says anything it's just someone's terrified face does yeah, do you remember the... they, could, they could have sat and um, written a script or, oh my God, this is going to happen and had someone, you know, spurting mm. out lines or whatever. And I think it would have taken away from it. It was, it's where nothing is almost sort of more powerful than, than something. Well, that's it. Do you remember the scene where they're eating the food and the jellies and the spoon? On the spoon? Yeah, I think this, this film was it almost as the sort of archetypal, you know, ground shaking water... It's used so much now, I think, to kind of, um, you know, in, in all sorts of films to um, to show that something's about to creep up on you. But the the close-ups of the water glasses shaking and the jellies wobbling and stuff like that, this was, I, I suspect, this is one of the films that kind of, if not pioneered that, then um, used it so well that everyone else has gone, yeah, that is how you show tension in a a sort of scary monster type film. I think yeah, and the... Just got a, he's just got a knack and... He, he he allows this film to breathe. Like there's so many scenes in the film, especially at the start, even in between some of the kind of dinosaur tension, it it's just allowed to breathe, and there's not a lot happening. And when you compare that to your modern films, where it's just this, even if you just imagine the screen, it's so busy. Like there's just so much happening. There's, you know the filmmakers feel as if they've got to pack so much in, but just he, he had such a a simplistic kind of view on loads of the kind of set pieces and scenes. And as I say, I think it just allows it to breathe. Like even one of the, like a bizarre scene when Sattler and Muldoon are trying to find Grant and the car's been tossed off the the cliff and you've got Jeff Goldblum in complete silence just talking to himself. Like those wee scenes like that, I don't think would work. I don't know. 
maybe I'm skeptical like in a more modern films. I just don't think I don't think a, a filmmaker these days would be like, I'm just going to have one of the sort of not main cast, but kind of support cast, just sitting in a jeep talking to himself. That felt almost improvised. It wouldn't surprise me if Jeff Goldblum just he, he kept was, talking. He at was that improvising. Point. There was, there were, I don't know at specific points, but there is points where he is improvising. I always imagine the scene where he says, "And now I'm in a jeep uh, talking to myself." Like that's yeah. maybe the kind of line that I'd imagine. Maybe the line that the, the scene cuts as she leaves or something. But I get the feeling they've kept it in because it was Goldblum and he was master at, at that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a, there was a lot of um, that was one of the things that had been a while since I saw you. Jurassic Park and one of the things I'd forgotten was that despite it being you know a, a, a thriller for the most part there's there's a lot of really well written humour and a lot of very, I've talked in previous podcasts about films with subtle humour there was great subtle humour and great one liners in this. Yeah, there's definitely uh, No, just to, I was just going to give an example Gordon, I think you're right um, I think it's Hammond is saying the kids have arrived and and he says something else and then Grant says, "What's that?" And I think Grant's meaning the the electronic cars, but Ellie Sattler just like kind of quietly says, "And he's he's here, or oh, they're they're small adults," <laughs> because yeah. he's asking. Yeah. Obviously, they've got that kind of they've got that kind of like cute sort of they are together. Obviously, Ellie Sattler's kind of like right, Alan, I want a kid and I want a kid now. And Grant's kind of like, hmm, don't really like kids. So I quite, I quite like that running joke, um, or the or that running gag. Yeah, and then obviously yeah, it's get really the, good. The, yeah. the scenes. So we, we we small things like that are quite good. But I think going back to, I think going back to Lex, yeah, it, it was it was just a it was just a I think the whole thing about her being a hacker was just like that was very convenient. It was one of the it was one of the more few convenient moments to just. You know, oh, but well, we'll just make her a hacker, then that'll that'll fix it. And it just seemed it just seemed very safe. One one of few moments in the film, I would probably say. Let's while we're on this sort of because we spoke about this before the podcast, Scott. You're kind of a couple of things start bugged on your rewatch that the film sort of uh, uses film logic to get around some issues. I would say uh, with convenience and things like that. Um, one of the things that's always bugged me and is well, the main one is the ending and now the, the and i suppose we're jumping around in this podcast to all different things so we might as well go to the talking about a bit about the ending but with the t-rex appearing in the visitor center uh that is something that i, I can take all of the little things and we'll talk about them in a second but the t-rex one is the one that i'm just like mm. so as steve mentioned there earlier there is a section in the film where it focuses on the glass of water to to tell you the audience that this t-rex can be heard from mm. really far out when it walks now somehow just a few hours later or a day later or whatever time frame we're on that t-rex snuck through whatever entrance it could get into while there was some commotion going on sure with um the the, the, the survivors trying to dodge the velociraptors but i still think somehow Everyone in that room, probably the Velociraptors themselves, would have been startled by the sounds of the T-Rex sort of bumbling in, trying to get into that visitor centre. I've just got fucking images of this T-Rex in ballet fashion outside. Yeah. <laughs> like, just tiptoeing about, 
just uh, oh, you know that but kind of kind of the way it is in like steve's picture they're just like kind of like listening uh-huh. like you know like with the ear up as if to be like i'm imagining the spy well, my moment plinky plonky <laughs> dump, 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 aye, dump. Aye. <laughs> trying to push stuff out of the way but his yeah. hands <laughs> or maybe maybe that's why but maybe it was like trying so hard to, it was standing in the one place but see because his wee arms it's taken <laughs> that long to open the door <laughs> Yeah, and that's why you didn't hear him. Yeah, it's just I, 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 I'm the same. I'm the same as you, Steve. I think even and that, I don't even think in rewatching. I think that's been that's been there since you know the first watches of the film because it's well, like as a kid a it didn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, Steven Spielberg's justification was that, and I think it was George Lucas that, in conversation with him, suggested uh, and and that I'm sure I read somewhere it was Lucas that was his first suggestion he said your T-Rex is your star of the film that's the real star of the film you have to have it returned to in the end scene so they've decided that's how they're going to do it and I think I think the logic behind the decision is actually right I think you did need to see the T-Rex maybe and get that final roar with the banner coming down the way that the film ends is fantastic but appearing in the visitor center just that's, mm. they maybe should have come out or something and then it's there i don't know i don't know what they could have done yeah i have heard well, a lot of people uh, same complaint yeah um i was going to say know. i don't know if he's noticed this but um lucas gets a special mention in the credits but he actually he actually uh took over direct to some directing duties to allow uh spielberg to go and direct uh schindler's list so yeah. in post-production Right, so I, he, d- I didn't realize so, that. So he actually directed some posts. He he was in charge. I don't think it was full sort of duties, but um, he Spielberg delegated some uh, post production duties to George Lucas. Right. So he's never credited as a director, but there's like a special thanks to George Lucas in the credits. Yeah, I know that they they were really they're really good friends. So they did sort of tell each other about all their ideas and c- collaborate on lots of things. And and obviously George Lucas did do a lot of the, his you know company did a lot of the sound and sort of design and things like that so yeah that makes not sure if i'm not sure if they're much friends now because did spielberg not just completely distance himself from indiana jones uh, like I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's come out like Spiel, like obviously kingdom of crystal skull got criticized slightly and spielberg was like well i never wrote it uh did they, basically, I'm, not, basically, I'm not basically just he basically just throwing george lucas under the bus to be like well if if you think it's shit he wrote it so i only directed it i kind of thought that, was, that but um, i kind of thought that was performed from steven spielberg it's like just own up to your work just just take it on the chin if it's if it's not coming across great don't don't mm. pass the buck to poor old geo he's got enough to deal with with the fucking prequels yeah well anyways that's another 15 podcasts um <laughs> yeah so where else are we going to go with that? Let's talk. We've not really spoke specifically about Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler, and the the trifecta really. It's an ensemble film. As much as Alan Grant's positioned as the probably the main lead out of the three, it is really an ensemble piece with the three of them. Um, Sam Neill and Laura Dern and uh, Jeff Goldblum are the sort of three kind of your main ensemble characters. And uh, I think all serve a fantastic. This whole film has been amazingly cast. Everyone. Uh, and I think the three of them are, are, are the peak. Uh, on on Sam Neill's portrayal of Alan Grant, yeah, we've spoke about about him uh, anyway, and the sort of reluctant hero idea, and I really like it. And again, you compare him to what they've done with people like Chris Pratt in the more recent films, where he's this buff, kind of tough guy, cool. He's so I think there's actually a line that describes him. I tell you, he's so cool, which I hate. 
Um, so, you know, I think uh, that's one of the, the things that I love about, you know, Alan, Alan Grant is that he's quite relatable. <laughs> he's just a, he's just a, a scientist. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, 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 he's a doctor. He's, he's out and digs. He does not want to be in that situation at all. Um, I suppose you could, cred- you could question Grant and Sattler's credibility when Hammond just throws extra money at them for three years and they're like, all right, fuck it, let's go. I mean, yeah, I think, instant decision, yeah. Yeah, I think I would have done that probably, you know. Aye, probably. Aye, I'm not, no, no criticism, but I suppose if you were being, you know, it's like, all right, that was easy. Yeah, yeah on <laughs> there's, that. Um... There's no negotiation there, like, you know, oh, could you do it for five years, John? All right, okay, cool. It's just like three years. Yeah, fucking, right? they probably should have pushed for another uh, another year. Aye, I think they would have absolutely. probably done it, yeah. The fact you were saying they were so relatable, Scott, um, yeah, I definitely noticed that when Spielberg said when it came to casting, he says, I didn't want any real superstars leading the cast in the film. I wanted just very good actors, people who you could believe were real-life paleontologists and real-life paleobotanists. Um, and that's why I think um, Laura Dern and Samuel work so well. I think, I think rather than Ian Malcolm, um, sorry, well, Jeff Goldblum, I, I would probably say... Um, if any one person, maybe Sam Neill was the star of the film. And you got to remember, it's a guy like, kind of Steve, like who you were saying when um, you did your, uh, or you mentioned Twister, I remember you said, obviously, um, who was the star in that, Bill Paxton, that he Bill hadn't, he, yeah, he wasn't a typically sort of like leading Hollywood actor at the time, but he got his chance to um, be star of this big film. And it's kind of the same thing with Sam Neill. And I, I thought he pulled it off really well, because I think... Um, as well, a lot of the humour we talked about, a lot of that comes from him, and I think the, especially those, him having a bit not particularly liking children, that running joke was, I, I just thought he played it so well, it's like, he's an actor, you probably wouldn't look at him and think that guy can do humour, but he can do humour. Yeah. He comes across so calm, like, in that first scene where at the dig, he's just so calm, you can tell he's a bit like, you can tell he's like a he's set in his ways, you know. He, there's the, there's the great scene where he touches the, <laughs> which they call it the state of the art um, uh-huh. computer, where they seen and it's like watching it back now. It's like I, I can't even make out the picture on that thing. And the guy says, "Oh, this is so clear. You can yeah. see the bones and stuff." Um, but when he obviously touches it, I don't know if that was improv, but it just it just seems so natural, yeah, naturally kind of like like clumsy and. You know, oh, I fucking don't want kids, and oh, I don't like that. I don't want to move on. I don't. I want to stay here with my dinosaur bones in the dirt. You know, that's where that's where Grant's he's he's happiest type thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way but, the way he came across in those lines was great. But the the way absolutely eviscerates that poor boy, like, is just hilarious. Cause that's just, exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. The instant the instant change in his demeanour when the boy says it and he just slowly <laughs> turns around and you see Sattler's face, she's just like, oh no, Alan. <laughs> it's because he went too far. Didn't it? It's like, right, right. You, ex- you would think that's kind of what a lecturer or scientist would do. He'll explain a bit about this is this is why dinosaurs behave this way. But it's the fact he could have stopped there, but no, he gets out the claw of the Velociraptor. Yeah. He runs it along like the boy's t-shirt and then he's like, he leans down he's like, I think you better show a little show bit more respect. Show I just respect. thought that's, is, yeah, it's like, that, you, did you have to go that far? Yeah. I'll not have any spoilers, but there was a running fan theory that that little boy is a young Owen Grady, who is Chris Pratt's uh, character in the Jurassic World. I did hear that somewhere. 
Yeah. I, I won't ruin it for anyone. And you know, that's the thing, right? You know, talking about Owen Grady, uh, you've got, you know, you go from these believable characters, you know, to, I mean, God, I mean, Owen Grady, what's his job? Training raptors. You know, that's not a job that somebody can go in and say, oh, I do that. I can relate with that guy. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not, it's, it, I mean, okay, not everyone's a paleontologist, but with Alan Grant, you can, you can identify with the idea of getting older, being stuck in the past a bit watching the world around you change, you know, not being particularly social. There's a lot of people who could look at that character and go, and, and Alan Grant's not, you know, got mus- muscles bursting out of his clothes. Do you know what I mean? He's just a normal guy, really. I always, I always thought he was, I always thought he looked cool. Yeah, he does. He's a bit, a bit, a bit sort of, a bit sort yeah. of Indiana, Indiana Jonesy. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, the hat, yeah. I think the yeah. costume department, this is where we have to sort of praise the costume department. Yeah. For Everyone has their own sort of colour scheme that you can <clears throat> I've seen people dressing up as Sattler. Oh, you could, you could cause you could cosplay uh, you could cosplay every single character in this film. Yeah. Like, all at the same time. Everyone <laughs> everyone has <laughs> they all have their own colour scheme, you know, Goldblum Hammond's the black, white. Hammond's the white. I mean it's Dennis a Nedry things. just get a can of coke. Get a floral shirt. Yeah, get a yeah. fucking a, a triple XL floral even, shirt. Even Dodson. Dodson you could cosplay. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, right Dodson. down. Dodson. Yeah, I want to do a cosplay with us in the cast where, like, you know, we've got, like, a few Dennis Nedrys and a few Dodsons. You know? Yeah. It's what funny because I've got a mate with the second name Dodson. It'd be good if we had in the cast. we got Dodson here. Yeah. <laughs> just just for that. <laughs> and my, my dad's called Dennis, so we'll get him to say yeah. that to him. <laughs> But yeah, I'll it's... cut a I'll cut a V shape in my Adidas t shirt and I'll be Malcolm. I'll just sit there with the with the cleavage hanging. Well, we, we, we need to get you. We need to injure you quite badly as well with an animal That's attack. Right. That's right. So, I'm alright with that. We'll organise that. Um, just sit so there going, who, oh, who's oh. who's going to be the who's going to be the blood sucking lawyer? We need somebody to. It's got to be Steve, isn't it? Steve's just the. Uh, anyone in this podcast, I think we would. I think any one of us could pick up that flare. And distract the T Rex. Uh, Steve's just—he's just a wuss man. He is straight into that toilet. The, the, he's straight into that. Toilet. I do love that the writing for the lawyer—he is always thinking in money terms. So Aye. when the kids are like picking up the goggles and they're like playing with him, is that heavy? Well, it's yes. expensive. Put it well, it's back. expensive. Put it back. <laughs> he's a, he's cannot a even relate to these well. children. He can't entertain Aye. them. He only cares about the money. He only cares. Now about... here's here's the weird bit. See when he ran away to go to the toilet. Was he actually using the toilet? Mate, oh my god. Right, so, so for so long I thought he was literally doing a shit. Like yeah. for so long. When he when I first watched it, I thought he's 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 just been eaten by a T-Rex mid shit. But he's not. He he's got his shorts up, yeah. he's just sitting in the toilet. Yeah, for I, so long. I, yeah, I thought that as well. Even yeah. recently I was I was watching it, I was like, hang on a minute. But um that's it. I mean, what a Jeff, what, what a way to, what a way to go. You gotta go, you gotta go. Do you know the strange thing though? It's not so much see 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 though obviously when Malcolm himself gets chased by the T-Rex because he's holding the flare. Do you know and this isn't so much a complaint of the film, it's more like a, a thing I just find a bit strange unless I'm missing something, right? So it's following Malcolm. And then for some reason, I don't know if it was he because he was he meant to be run towards the toy, it's suddenly it's as though the T-Rex changes track and suddenly thinks, oh, I'm more interested in the guy that's in the toilet, so I'm going to break open the toilet and eat him. Well, no, because Malcolm, so Malcolm's obviously, so Grant throws the thing about Grant's stationary. Malcolm gets out of the car and he's running away, but he's still holding 
even when Malcolm throws the, the flare, he's still running away. Yeah. So the T-Rex looks at the flare and goes, well, uh, you're still running. Crashes into the thingy, and Gennaro's, Malcolm's, he's now he's now out of the game under the like pine and stuff from the from the, the, the toilet or the debris. And Gennaro's on the toilet and he's obviously wiping his, his eyes and stuff. So the T-Rex is just like, I'm, I'm having you there. Yeah, but it's, it's as though the T-Rex suddenly uh, loses interest in him and switches. I get that he's maybe like running towards the toilet, but it's like, unless it's because he's buried in the in the remains of the toilet or something. I mean, maybe that's kind of explainable. I, 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 I'm kind of with you on that. It. It's not... I, I get what the film's trying to do and I'm fine with it. But actually, it is very short, the cut... And it it's not quite clear what exactly causes Malcolm to fall and sort of be hidden, like in the sense that like is it the T Rex's head? Did it hit him? Like what? I think, what I think it, yeah, I think the I think the T Rex catches him in the leg and just basically just basically propels him into the toilet. Yeah. And, and the, the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Very the, lucky. The, then. the structure the structure obviously collapses <clears> and. And again, similar to the flare with Malcolm, like Malcolm throws the flare, the T Rex does look at it, but he's, he's Malcolm's still running. So it's almost like you think of something that's pure, hundred percent attention. It's like, well, that's gone. He's still running. I'm going to follow that, right? The guy with the fantastic chest hair is now buried under a toilet, but now there's this thing. So I'm, it, you know what I mean? It's, it, it seems as if it was just that instant attention change. And I think um, there's also the idea that the T Rex itself is probably wondering what the hell is going on yeah. as well yeah. i mean the t-rex doesn't know where to look do i look at the cars do i look at the what you know i mean <laughs> like what, what is i mean this, this t-rex is the is film probably wondering oh, he probably thought he probably thought gennaro on the toilet was the goat like he probably thought it's like oh, well is this feeding time then hmm. is, is this is this fleshy fucking thing just come out of the ground just similar to the goat the the film obviously tries to explain well, and through Sam Neill, essentially, that his vision's based on movement, which reading into mm. it apparently would have been absolutely nonsense. Uh, the yeah. T-Rex had like yeah. binocular vision, apparently, like, more like birds of prey, I've read. So that was completely fictional for the film. Uh, they took a few liberties with some of the dinosaurs. Um, the Dilophosaurus yeah, do- doesn't spit toxic fumes or whatever, the, toxic goo or whatever the hell that stuff was. Mm. Do you know what's uh, great about it though is that the film itself you can headcan in it and you can think well they they, they filled in DNA with extra bits true. from other animals. Yeah, that's true actually because yeah. it isn't actually the real dinosaurs. Yeah, it's, they're, they're slightly as modified. As, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, it's like you know, if the dinosaurs can spontaneously grow a cock, then the T Rexes get you know tunnel vision. I'm alright with that. Well, so. they did say something, and I don't know if it was Jurassic Park or one of the other ones, but they said something about how. Um, I think this might be one of the more recent ones where they, they were saying something about how one of the dinosaurs had something from a monitor lizard in it and therefore it had some attribute of that creature as well. Some ability uh, to like... Oh, okay. re- re- male to female. Uh-huh, yeah. No, that's that's in this film. They use the, the DNA of frogs. I think... The I African think that's frogs or something. West African frog that, that can, change can change sex. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, so that's now, obviously the. That's I tell you what, that, that frog has got a survival technique and a half. I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine no, how not... much problems would be solved if humans could just do that? But hey, fine, <laughs> there we go. I'm just, just going to change. I'm going to be a girl now, and then you could you be a boy, whatever. That'd be nice and easy. In fact, they should research that. They should research it and look at look for medical purposes. Uh, the the frogs. I mean, I think bit, that's, yeah. You know, it's mad. I mean, it's in nature already. It's crazy, isn't it? 
Yeah, that will, aye, that's what so I, I was just going to say. Like, um, there, there is fish that are somehow able to change sex or something similar to that. And sea I think horse. so. There's a, yeah. there's a, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's so say there's a basis for some of this. It's not, it's not always far fetched. You might think. And I think again, it's that. It's also the, that again, that real foreboding scene when, um, when later in the film when he's when he's running with the two kids when all the dinosaurs have escaped when. When Grant sees there's eggs that have hatched and he realizes that actually the dinosaurs are breeding, it and, and he explains it. it's not bad exposition. I mean, it's more like it, it's not. It's he does it very well, and he, he explains about there's or certain West African frogs have been known to change sex in a such and such environment. Like if, I, I think that again, it's it gives you that foreboding feeling about oh, because the raptors are out in the loose and they're breeding. It's Really good. What's yeah. interesting as well, actually, is that um, there are some animals that can just can that can self conceive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like they discovered that they were keeping some different types of animals in captivity, and certain animals would just become pregnant. Am I uh, barking up the wrong tree? Can pandas do it? I, I don't know if it's pandas, but I know there's some no, animals that so they can. They they just don't get oh, no, they, at all. Yeah, they don't. The, the, uh-huh. the opposite problem. Yeah, they don't want to do. They would. Yeah. You put them together and push them towards each other. Other than they're, they don't want to do it. <laughs> oh no, I think. Uh, sorry, I think panda. I think the female panda will with. She can withhold the. She withhold the fertilized egg and basically just like she uh, uh, something about. She'll do it when she wants to do it. If that makes sense, I think that's why it takes so long. I'm sure I read that somewhere. Don't that's another thing. That. Another thing to research. I tell you what, we're getting some interesting research on this cast. <laughs> right, the Google history is going to be really <laughs> fucking weird. Yeah, definitely. Do you something? Um, just I, I kind of want to do a, a. I know we kind of went to the end of the film. I want to go to the to the start of the film here. See when I watched it last night. I don't know if you guys did the same thing. Like, see the music at the start. Like, did any of you get like a kind of James Cameron sort of vibe? A kind of aliens because like. John Williams goes seriously dirty on the synth, and I think he goes he goes quite dirty on the synth throughout the film actually, which is it's strange to hear when you th- obviously John Williams you expect yeah. you've got the big fanfare, you've got the more somber uh, theme as well, but when it starts, it's kind of like God, I, I I had totally forgot Jurassic Park starts like this. Um, well, I I do think to myself, I wonder whether there's a kind of an alien esque. Nod. Raptors and the way that they hunt you down is not too different from the alien. Well, but, <laughs> like a uh, sort of bipedal yeah. horror. And that, you know? and that first scene, when the raptor obviously grabs the guy um, and th- sort of thrusts him up the way, like that, that is kind of almost otherworldly as well. I suppose yeah. it's trying to get you, it, it, it's setting up the rules is basically to say these things are fucking dangerous and they could, they could turn in an instant. Although, see, on the topic of the music, though, I mean, I think, I mean, I think Jurassic Park has one of the best movie themes of all time. Yeah, I mean, I, oh, I, I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, the score just is an phenomenal. incredible, incredible. Like, see, see that first bit where they, where they sort of approach the island in the helicopter, and then that theme kicks in. It's just, mm-hmm. I remember, in fact, I remember that from seeing it when I was a kid. In the, in the cinema as well. Like, I remember see, thinking about that theme. I, I got the like the soundtrack on tape or something. Yeah. Like, see, even now, like, see when you hear, I think John Williams is just an absolute master at capturing, like, the very feel of a, of the film that he's doing the score for. 
but see see the Jurassic Park theme like aside from the movie. Do you not think it just do you not think it just sounds like the cinema? Yeah. Does that does that make sense when I say that? Like it it just sounds like that. Yeah, it just sounds like cinema. It's just so quite victorious in certain moments. Well, it's the it's the, the he's obviously got the fanfare sort of. Da, 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 da. I think the I think it's the more sort of, see when they see the dinosaurs for the first time and it's the slowed down version like that. I think that, it's the that, it's the it's the awe. I think the, yeah, like the, spect- the, the spectacle, the idea of going to the cinema and seeing something on a big massive screen, like yeah. he by trying to convey the size of everything that you're seeing in the film, he somehow almost ticks that box as well. Yeah. It's like you go to the cinema to see spectacle, don't you? And yeah. like the, the yeah, the soundtrack does have that awe and spectacle to just it but... wonderment and then but at the same time the scene... he's, he's, he's captured that but as well as that he's, he's, he's also captured the he's also captured the dread you yeah. know it's not just the it's not just the kind of very warm and somber holy shit that's the dinosaur mm-hmm. it's like the the raptor the the when the raptors are on screen especially this it's it's kind of almost like odes to jaws the... you know it's 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 very menacing the there's moments that work for me that aren't even action scene moments, but the the sort of the score kind of feels quite militaristic. The bit right after that scene we were just talking about when they're looking up at the Brachiosaurus, he's like, "How have you done it? I'll show you." And it cuts to them and the and the jeeps pulling up to yeah, the visitors. Yeah. It's got this kind of like. I love that. It's just it feels propulsive for a scene that is actually. I think well, then again, Stephen Barry, you are the guy that drove me. Remember one day we were driving around to yours, <laughs> and you had the aliens action music on as yeah, we were driving. Totally. <laughs> I mean, see, now, now, a militaristic theme. I can see why you would like that bit in Jurassic Park it's, actually, it's, because it's, it's got that sort of. It makes sense that because it, it gives, it gives it, a uh, scene that is just jeeps pulling up and people getting out a bit of a bit of energy. Like the scene is it not. Does, interesting, it does. Yeah, that's why well, it I, works. I think it does it work. Just reminded because... me, uh, reminded me of prequels. Reminded me what? of like they're fucking going to Naboo. Oh, like I don't, I don't, I've... I don't agree with that because yeah. the like, see that bit, like it's the sort of, it's sort of the anticipation. All I was waiting for the, yes, all I was waiting for the anticipation. Choir. That's a good wait for it. All I was waiting for the choir and Julia Fates to start going. No, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read. I'm going to re-score this film for you, Scott. I'm going to give you a re-scored version of Jurassic Park. They're going to have Duel of the Fates on while they're eating the dinner. Right? <laughs> <laughs> sure, if you look at YouTube, you'll get a re-scored... Well, no, I don't you would ever get a re-scored Jurassic Park because the score is just so fantastic. You do with some films, though. And your comparison to The Phantom Menace, The Phantom Menace score is actually decent. It's That's the good thing about that film. But anyways... The thing with music is bring that in. I mean, with I'm music like, in a film, the problem is that it's like sand; it just gets everywhere. Uh, you know? uh, <laughs> I'm only doing. It wasn't. It wasn't as egregious as I'm making out. It probably just wasn't. The uh, I don't know. It was more filler than anything. Else, uh, you're you're filler. Anyways, uh... <laughs> oh, that was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, 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 you're just a fella. Who are you? Like, but what am I? Uh, that's <laughs> you thrown it at you, Scott. Uh, what, what have you got to return it with? There, just fill the noise. Just fill, yeah. fill the dead air for a minute. I'll, I'll fill you up. Aye. Yeah. Right. I'll f- fill you in, pal. I'll fill you in. Fill you in. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so turn round and fill you in. I was turned round here and I was like, ah, fill you in, mate. What? <laughs> 
we actually didn't speak about Sattler as much as I was wanting to when we were talking about Alan Grant yeah. and Sattler. I feel like we should come back to Laura Dern. Um, now, for me, I-, I-, I love her in this film. And one of the scenes I do really like is when the the topic of when when uh, she suggests she's going to go with Muldoon to rescue them and uh, she's you know getting the guns and things like that and and uh, Hammond's got the walkie talkie he's like actually I should go because I'm a, I'm a and I'm you're a, a... <laughs> and she realizes what he's trying to say I'm a man you're a woman I should do this and she's like let's talk about sexism and survival situations when I'm back okay I love it Love it. Well, here's a, here's an interesting. And it's so funny as well because I mean, what chance would he have compared to her anyway? I know. I mean, <laughs> he can barely hold the weight of two kids giving him a cuddle. I know that's <laughs> the thing. I mean, <laughs> he buckles under the weight of kids hugging him. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, that's it. Because the funny thing about it is, she could have easily said to him, "What you're a pensioner and I'm young and fit." Yeah. You know I mean? do, you think, do you think if Hammond went right and he gets torn apart by the dinosaur or the raptors, and while he's getting like disemboweled do you think he would go spared no expense <laughs> push push but, push. Oh. but yeah I do think, an interesting I think... One about Hammond. Uh, do you know uh, Sean Connery was uh, mooted for the role of Hammond yeah. well that's it he'd, that? be, he'd be far too actiony for it I think well imagine could you imagine Sean Connery saying spared no expense <laughs> <laughs> It would just become a giant hush, hush, hush. Hunt for Red October all over again. Oh man! You'd, you'd have oh, him, man. and then you'd have Malcolm going, just laughing at him. I mean, that would be an unbelievable scene. I, I actually bought into Richard uh, Attenborough's accent as well. It's a Scottish accent he's doing. I actually bought into. It's not great. It. It's not great. Uh, the problem is that it varies, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems mm. to jump between Scottish and yeah, his normal English accent. I, took, oh, I think I Richard has. Kind I of a posh. the Scottishness when he mentioned he was from that one random part where he mentioned he was from Scotland, oh. and then he, he suddenly went ultra Scottish. Uh, yeah, it does fluctuate a little. Like he says, suppose... he's he trying. Sorry, for Alec, you're talking a minute. Sorry, when Alan Grant's trying to get the seatbelt, and we'll be uh, we'll be down when when you get it on or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we <laughs> just that was the moment I was like, oh wow, that was. Uh, he says, yeah, he does sort of switch into it, doesn't he? He sort of he he does. But I, I always took that as he was quite a posh guy because you get folk like that who kind of go a bit English and then they, when the, you know they have a drink or they have a moment right, talking yeah. about the past, they switch back. But I do think right, Laura Dern. Just to get back to her, what you were saying, <laughs> I think Laura Dern. Right, this is one of her best roles. Yes, I think I think she she there is no one else who could have played her role in this film. In my view, I think she's the the perfect casting, um, and I, I, you know she's. <sighs> To, to me, it's the way she plays it. It's just so realistic. She's yeah. just so so understated. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a she's clearly a very intelligent character, but they don't do like they don't go overkill to try and tell you that she just plays it like you say, realistic. Oh, here's yeah. a, here's a, here's a question for you, right? Out of out of Grant, well, maybe Grant, I suppose. Is Sattler the one that actually does the most meaningful thing in the film to actually help them get off the island? I mean, it's uh, they're, they're they split the story up, so they're, they're Grant's doing his thing with the kids, she's doing her thing on the other side. So it's it's kind of the two of them, or the two. That, it's like a jo- a dual hero. Aye, and part. I think that's and I think that's the point I'm making. It's like they they give they give her character a 
a meaningful thing. You know, she she goes right now. Forget about it. Me and Muldoon are going to turn the power on. Um, but that's that's it exactly. It doesn't feel sure. like she was sure. given that role. It feels like Aye. it was just natural. It was just all of it. And, oh, it, was, yeah. and it was it was good. The awkward. I, I really liked the awkward exchange between Hammond and Sattler because it's yeah. like even Hammond is feeling he's he's, he's saying it awkwardly because uh-huh. he kind of knows that she's going to go anyway. But yeah. he's, he, he feels as if he has to say it. Just <laughs> yes. like, isn't he? Isn't he like? Uh, he's very much a representative of the older generation, there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like this idea of, well, you know, this is just the way things are done. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah, it's it's like, it's polite etiquette, etiquette. It's like, well, I know, I know you're going to go, and I know I'm not going to go, but I'm, I'm still going to just offer. Because the thing <laughs> is, it's weird because I think it's sexist, but at the same time, it's also kind of sacrificial because it's like, who would want to go out there? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's an element of um, maybe. Say Hammond had said something like, I'm responsible for getting us into this mess. I'm going to go and try and sort this out. That would have been a far more reasonable way to put it, wouldn't it? But um, I think it was good that it was brought up because it was a, a because it really was a moment of humour in the film. Well, yeah, there's, lots, there's lots of it, but that's the thing. I mean, you, you can sense that he doesn't genuinely mean it, though. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, think the I, film, to... I think it's a, uh, it's a debatable one, but I think the film does pass the Bechtel test. Um, the what test? The Bechtel test. What is this? You don't know what that is? I would, no, I would have thought Bechtel you would have known. So the Bechtel test is basically it's a it's like a measure of uh, how women are portrayed in fiction. So oh. there's three there's three questions that needs to ask the film. Um, there needs to be two named female characters. They need to talk to like two female characters need to talk to each other, and um, they need to talk to each other about a topic that isn't a man, right? Now, wow. See just a, see just like a quick segue. It is scary. It is scary how many films fail this simple. I, I can totally believe so you. Bad. However, I probably would say like the perfect example I've got is a film called Gravity with Sandra Bullock. Mm. Mm. So Sandra Bullock is the main character in that film. There's only three named characters in it. Two are obviously guys, and one is Sandra Bullock. So when you say it's failed, and that film does fail the Bechtel test, but it's not necessarily saying it's a uh, it, it, it can't be really looked as a criticism if that makes sense mm. yeah because like the ratio of characters it's not as egregious yeah, and, if it was 15 and, men and one woman exactly and and Sandra Bullock is the lead she is the lead star in that film yeah you know what I mean so it's um, but like you take a film like Indiana Jones and the last crusade fails dramatically <laughs> you know what I mean um, I mean the Indiana Jones films in general fail on that but see, here's the thing. Here's the thing with this, right? So obviously, you've got Lex and you've got uh, Ellie. The so there's two named female characters, right? So the next test is is that they need to talk to each other. I think it's very, very debatable whether they actually hold a conversation with each other or not. I, I like, don't think they do, do they? Do you know? I, I think there is an interaction. Well, the thing with the Bechtel test is, I feel that it is. It's one of those things where it, it can be, like you said, with gravity, it can fail a film that, that maybe doesn't fail, if that yeah. makes sense, like yeah. in any reasonable sense. So, like, I think... Because the thing about the measure, the measure is how it's portraying women in fiction. Sandra yeah. Bullock is portrayed very well in the film Gravity because she's the, she's the lead star. So yeah. it's got its flaws. Um, but again, I think if, you, if, you're, if you're talking about the, the, the general... You know, I suppose it's mainly tested for like for older films. I think most recent films, you you're probably not going to get that. Um, uh, but for example, it, it, it is crazy 
when you think back how many films just 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 feel that simple test well sometimes i think with some films it's it's a feeling of the genre so indiana jones is very much meant to be like pulpy films from the 50s and 40s or like comic books and things like it's like very kind of old-fashioned films so there's kind of a a holdover from from that old-fashioned storytelling as well whereas something like jurassic park i think I, i would say to any reasonable extent you know, I, I would say that it, pa- like, to my mind, it passes that test. A lot of TV shows nowadays do as well. Yeah. Um, Target audience fact- is a main thing, and clearly, Indiana Jones and James Bond are for boys and men. Like, there's a kind of obvious undercurrent of who the real target audience is, whereas Jurassic I mean, Park uh, feels uh, more like family. Yeah, it does. Uh-huh, that's it. Yeah, but even then, you could say with Jurassic Park, right? You don't really see a lot of women about in the film. No, no, certainly not. And that's no. where so, it's like in the background. Past, then it's you know it's still just uh-huh. past. Yeah, because I mean you don't really see any women staff. I think they are the only two. Uh, and again, when you kind of draw light on it, um, the test has two named female characters. I think they are the only two. So although they pass the test, it still kind of shines that light on, you know, as you say, Fran. It's like you know why is there not more female actors or or members of the staff that's in the the control room when they're doing the you know yeah. the, the dinosaur, the like back, background stuff. actors i would I mean, say yeah. there was probably maybe one or two maybe in the extras at the start when they're like showing the the bones on in the dig maybe possibly yeah possibly you know, if that's where we're, we're stretching to to get <laughs> a third female character i think the, the, di- the dinosaurs changed oh, into women as well. well yeah the dinosaurs were not well, the dinosaurs were women i you know what it's a the bechdel test passes with flying colors then yeah anyway yeah, well, not only did they interact but they ate them they ate so, each other so, <laughs> so on Sattler, before we move on anyway the, the thing about Sattler and Grant's relationship, there's no oh, scene. There's no scene where they kiss in the film. No, I think the only the only scene where they they can show any physical emotion is when he she sees him uh-huh. for the first time after, and she's like, "Run!" <laughs> and at, at, at that point, I thought they were just going to get down and dirty on that bit of grass. Yeah. Like I thought it was just like fucking the sexual tension between them was palpable at that point. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah. just but no, I, th- I think it's I think it's good. Like all joking aside, I think it's she's she's not overly sexualized, but I still think she looks incredible in the film. Just that where you know the costume, uh, everything. Um, they don't overplay the romance. She's not there as just being Grant's, you know, whether it's bit in the side or girlfriend. There's you don't actually really know what they are. Yeah, that's, that's what I, kind of a wee bit like it's left on. It's not. It's, yeah. it's obviously made. They're they're an item of some sort. But it's left a little vague. Well, you know, you know that when, when you know Malcolm's starting to sniff about, you know he's kind of like, mm-hmm. I, I love Malcolm's, you know, uh, Malcolm's line as well, where Alan Grant's like, um, uh, have, have you got anyone? And he's like, oh, <laughs> he's like, uh, I'm always on the lookout for a future ex, Miss Mrs. Malcolm. Yeah, and I'm like, That's absolutely hilarious. And he's he's smiling when he's saying it. <laughs> you, you can totally buy that this character would be like that though like he is clearly a charmer and it's all fun and, and and you know and great at first but he's obviously not a great you know long-term relationship guy or, or something like that you know uh, and it's funny it's funny that like the way he's portrayed is he obviously is that kind of like sleazy rock star he kind of he kind of is the sort of I wouldn't say the the comedic relief, but he 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 does have those like kind of moments in the dialogue and the you know he is very quotable in the film. But actually seeing the seeing the scene when they're having dinner, um, 
or lunch or whatever, like he's the one that's actually what he's saying. It's kind of like, why well, he really knows his shit, and oh, he's actually making a lot of sense. He's terrific. That whole scene yeah. where he's talking about how John Hammond has essentially is the little kid that found his dad's gun and is waving yeah. it about, and the sort of the ideas that you know brings on. And it's like he's talking about how essentially he has just you know packaged it and patented it, and and you know put it on a lunchbox, lunch boom, box, bam, and then it's like, like, <laughs> well, it's that it's that whole line, isn't it? Um, you spent so much time thinking about whether you yeah. could do it, you didn't think about yeah. if you should. Yep, which I think. Exactly the way he delivers it as well it's like i don't necessarily think those lines were were uh, like uh, ad-libbed or anything like that but he actually makes it sound as if he is so i was watching interviews with them on re- the recent sort of publicity tour for this film and they were going over their their history in the first film and they uh sam neil and laura dern both said about goldberg that they said to him he is the most um he learns his lines to a T. He knows every single line. He knows the scene off by heart. He's the utmost professional. So that then when he's actually doing the scene, he can play around with it and sort of like, sort of bring his own little nuances to it. Those little way he says things because he knows the exact way, the cadence he wants to say it. And he knows everyone yeah. else's reactions and things like that. And uh, that's something that's interesting. I think he could have gone over the top and angry there, but the way he comes across is the kind of, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed type period. You almost don't kind of get that he's getting angry Uh until he delivers the words that he's saying. You're you're not watching a man, you know, ranting and raving. You're listening to every word that he says, and you're right, it's the cadence, it's how he says it. And he really portrays about that he, he is so pissed off, but... He it comes across as this kind of disappointed. I you know I can't believe you've done that kind of um, way. Which if anyone I'm sure you remember being told off by your parents as a kid, it actually almost feels worse than being shouted at. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. It is. It's a fantastic scene. The dinner scene might be one of my favourites, and it's a pure character scene. You know, and even the way it's lit, the cinematography with the lighting and things like that, I think looks fantastic. And um, yeah, it's one of those scenes where you know Hammond thinks. He's going to win the the acceptance and approval of these experts, and then obviously, as as it comes down to it, he realizes it's the lawyer that is the one that is actually on his side, which then he makes that comment. You've came to defend me against these guys, and the only one on my side is a black sucking lawyer. We could have a coupon day. Everybody, a coupon day. <laughs> the lawyer yeah, though just the... says thank you. The speech. <laughs> Do you know what I thought you were about to say a minute ago? It was about that speech Hammond gives about how he started Jurassic Park. He goes on about a flea circus. That's later on. I find that quite weird. It just makes me feel well, I tell you what, weird, fact, uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't, right. It's well, not, I guess it's not so much a criticism. It's just a kind of funny scene. But I get what they're trying to do, obviously. Yeah. I actually think, I actually think that's a brilliant piece. We're kind of segueing back to uh, Laura Dern. I think that's a brilliant moment for Laura Dern because what Hammond's kind of basically saying is is that it, it, so he wanted to create something that was real rather than the flea circus, which is obviously up to your like imagination and stuff like that. Um, and Hammond even to, even at that point is still disillusioned that he thinks it, he thinks it's like what's happened here is just a blip. You know, we'll fix it and it will be better the next time. And I think Laura Dern's performance at this seems brilliant because she's like John. You, you don't have control. Control is the illusion. You think you've got control over life and you don't and you never will have. I think that 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 scene's 
really strong. And yeah. actually, you can uh, Richard Attenborough acts it really well because he does uh, he his facial expressions. It's kind of like shit. She's right, yeah. and then I just yeah, his, I love his, his his reaction to like the, it's. I think it's the scene after that when they're in the control room, and Muldoon mentions the licensee deficiency. Um, which is something Doctor Wu added in. I think if you if you if the dinosaurs are starved of this amino acid, it's basically like it's like a cull. I think they could cull all the dinosaurs. It's like a failsafe. And that's when Hammond shouts at um SLG and it's like, People are dying. So that I quite like that was before he was kinda like, Oh no no no, it'll be fine. After Laura Dern basically put him in his place, he's now kinda going up, people are dying we need to fix this um i thought it was really good yeah yeah i, I thought it was quite funny scott you said about oh we'll get it right next time is the way there's just something really funny about the way he said it is like we relied too much on automation but next time we, we'll get it right it just right. it just was so obvious <laughs> to what was going on it just is so funny we'll get it right next time where is he from tunisia <laughs> i mean i don't know who's well you know i'm all joking Richard Attenborough deserves a lot of credit as well as an actor. It's funny because, um, and when I talk about his real accent, I mean, like, he seemed to be in a lot of roles, obviously, when he was younger, The Great Escape, and I've seen, like, The Sand Pebbles, and a lot of, like, real dark films, but I don't know, was there a real gap? He wasn't, I don't really think of him so much for 70s and 80s actors, so he was in a lot of 60s films. Maybe I've just not seen Mm -hmm. them, but. Yeah, you're you're right. He he was retired for about 50. He was directing, obviously. I can't remember, he, he won a film, I can't remember the name of the film, but he won like a, a, an Oscar. I think he actually beat Spielberg um, to an Oscar uh, directing a film, but yeah, he was on a, he was retired from acting for 15 years and uh, what did, I think there's a quote that he says um, Spielberg was just so like devish, devilishly um, convincing or something like that uh, and, and talked him into it. So Scott, uh, speaking to you, I understand you have a short quiz you want to do with us um, to, as a sort of interlude before we go back into the main discussion on the film. Yeah, so this is a fun bit of the podcast where I like to call Jurassic Facts. Okay, and that's the end of this, the section. <laughs> <laughs> so see when, you, see when you're editing it, Steve, when I say Jurassic Facts, that's when you play the theme song. Uh, right? Right, okay. okay. Right, so there's... <laughs> A what what de- theme song? The Jurassic Park theme? The one that will get his copyright claim? The one that sounds like the Naboo theme in Phantom Menace. Right. <laughs> in fact, no, for the for the shits and giggles played Jewel of the Fates. Right, okay. Uh, so, right, so there's 11 deaths in the film, and I am including uh, wildlife in that as well. Can we, can we name all of them? Well, there's the three deaths that are the character deaths. Dennis. Well, there's f- so there's five, there's five human deaths oh yeah three that are caused by dennis nedry essentially mm-hmm. uh so that would be robert is it robert muldoon yeah yeah uh, nedry himself nedry himself yep. the gennaro the, sol- the solicitor samuel l jackson samuel l jackson arnold dr arnold at the very very start oh yeah the crit- is that a death Oh, I think that's implied that guy. Yeah, because yeah, well, they, they we're talking about the lawsuit and his family afterwards. Yeah, that was the reason the solicitor was sent over. Jenny's yeah. noticed very quickly how awkward Muldoon is holding the guy's hand. Like he's got the guy's arm in a headlock. Yeah. Like and and it and it and it just slides out. It's kind of like shoot, sake, Muldoon. <laughs> shoot, shoot <her>. <laughs> <laughs> if he's actually like really close, there's nothing in that cage. 
like when he's shooting shooter, there's nothing in the cage. Very it's just quickly, just I know that I've just ruined your point there, and also this interrupting the quiz, which is interrupting the whole thing. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the I was watching a YouTube video essentially of a lawyer who breaks down films, and his that's his thing. And essentially, he talks about where any criminal or civil action could take place going through the film, <laughs> and it is hilarious because he breaks down all of the things. First of all, that Dennis Nedry is culpable for, and also John Hammond. So Dennis Nedry would serve at least twenty years in jail for all, the three murders plus uh theft and corporate theft as well which comes under another name a civil name for it for the the hacking and all that kind of stuff and john hammond for his inept um and sort of park state the fact that they don't have backup fences that are not very strong that a t-rex can just kind of like take away the cables uh and they don't have a backup <laughs> generator that comes in things like that so he was that it's really funny when the but he's saying it in lawyer speak which is hilarious so anyways uh it's yeah. also funny as well that obviously everyone they, they give you the they set the rules where people have to go off because there's like a hurricane it's literally just slg and dennis nedry that can run the park like yeah. that's it. Off of these old ass can white box computers. It's I when you think about it, it's like yeah, that's hilarious. That's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Right. So we've got guy at the start, Gennaro, Nedry, SLJ, and Muldoon. So we've got all the five. Anyone take a guess at certain wildlife? The goat. Yeah, the goat and the cow. Absolutely. Goat and Cal- the cow. Cal- a great shout. Uh, so there's three left that. Closer to the, the, uh, there's the Gallimimus. Velociraptors. Aye, you've got them. Oh, did you say Gallimimus? Aye. So basically, the at the end. I know the T-Rex obviously picked one up. I can't remember if one, it One gets locked in a freezer. Blind. I'm going to guess that one didn't survive. Yeah. Uh, uh, you probably got a... Because the, the one in the freezer, obviously, you don't see... Well, technically, you don't see SLJ dying either. SLJ? Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, right. Or Ray. The chain smoker. Hmm. You kind of don't see him dying on screen either. So well, I think it's just... implied pretty well that when his arm has been taken <laughs> off, he's Aye. dead. A body was never found. Aye, <laughs> so we'll, we'll imply the raptor freezes to death. We'll imply that the raptor that gets violently flung into the T-Rex uh, sort of bones by the T-Rex dies. Is the raptor at the start shot by all the guys? No. No, that's the... Because I think Muldoon... Muldoon makes reference to I think they actually call it the big one. Mm. I think that's referred to as the big one. And I, I think that's the clever girl um, in the scene where Muldoon. Oh, right, okay. Clever girl. So it's, um, aye, so three raptors. Uh, so aye, that's all 11, of all 11 deaths. Mm. Uh, another quick fact. So there's actually only 20 minutes of on-screen time for the dinos in the film. Can you guess what the split is to practical effects versus CGI? So I'd missed the start. The question: the full film? Are you saying it was a certain portion of the film? Uh, for the full film, there's only twenty minutes of dino footage. Can you guess what the split is to practical to CGI? I think it's got to be fifty-fifty, something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would go seventy CGI, thirty practical. Okay. Anyone else? Any thoughts? Are you saying basically what's the split of practical and CGI throughout the whole film, though? Yeah. For the well, for the twenty minutes that the dinos are on screen. All oh, right, okay, I'm I'm with you now. I I would say I think it's more like fifty fifty. All right, it's actually well, fourteen minutes 
are practical effects in six minutes of CGI. Ah, yeah, I was going to mention that, actually. What you were saying earlier about not really being able to tell the difference, I mean, there are points where you can presume that it is, you know, when the T-Rex's headbutt in the car and stuff, that'll be the animatronics, but there's so many points where you just can't tell, you're just just looking at a massive dinosaur going, yeah, that's the dinosaur. The the way they blended it, I think the animatronics are maybe especially impressive, but I think the the CGI, um, you know, that, and that was one of the, I think before that, there was maybe about three notable films, there was a James Cameron one, um, like, that was it the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes or something, some other film in the 80s, maybe, and I forget. There was a, maybe about three real big films before that had CGI's. It was very new at the time, but um, well, I think the way they did it, it was better than this like 2000s era CGI explosion where it actually got less realistic. But I think a lot has to be said, I scoff for the animatronics as well. And I think, Steve, you mentioned earlier about slow motion i've heard it described as go motion i don't know if that's the same thing but um like if you watch the make there's a making of documentary and it shows the like the early attempts they were interestingly they were going to have spielberg was actively thinking about having all the dinosaur effects really with the go motion stuff i think maybe when you guys mentioned that on the last podcast and i think then they started experimenting with cgi and you realized a lot of it worked well yeah but, um, Bill Tippett was on to do the the go motion. Um, Spielberg seen the sort of tests. I think it was when he seen the tests for the he seen the fully rendered T Rex. Um, I think the he was skeptical of the being able to the camera to move. He I think Spielberg just thought well if it's CGI the camera's got to be stationary so that's going to restrict him. But the guys at ILM basically said no 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 we can move the camera we can use motion tracking and stuff like that. And I think as soon as he saw the pre-rendered T-Rex, he was just like, sorry, sorry, Phil. And it's actually quite funny. They had the real-life conversation, Spielberg and Phil Tippett, where Phil Tippett says, I think I'm out of a job. And Spielberg actually said to him, don't you be extinct. And in the film, you've got um, Grant saying, oh, I'm going to be out of a job. And Jeff Goldblum says, don't you be extinct. Yeah, they used it. Sorry, Jeff Jeff Goldblum goes, "Uh, don't you mean... uh, 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 extinct. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just very quickly. So the budget of Jurassic Park was sixty-three million. However, can anyone guess what the marketing budget was? Um, Eighteen. Or is it? Is it? Is the six? Is the marketing included in that? No. It's over. Over. Over the cost of the production. So the sixty-three million is just purely production costs. I'm gonna go something like twenty-three thousand. Uh, twenty-three million. I know. I, anyone? That seems a bit much, but I don't know. I'm going to go kind of six, seven million. 93, oh you're looking at billboard campaigns, a few key plastic dinosaurs. Um, it, does the toys count as marketing? I think they do. I think it all kind of counts because it's, it it's around the launch of the film. Yeah. Um, I, I like... suppose there's, there's, there's merchandise and there's marketing. So, like the free toys that you get given away in McDonald's or whatever, the, the cups that were mentioned earlier, I remember them, they'll probably count as uh, advertise, as marketing because they're advertising the, the launch of the film yeah. as so the clue, quality the, merchandise. They also made the computer games, like Sega games. Yeah, they went crazy with the games. So the clues in the, the, clues in the movie tag, the movie's tagline, any of you know what the movie tagline was? 65 million years in the making. That's the one. So it the, wasn't 65 million pounds. It was 65 million, oh, so the marketing was more, the than, marketing the was more than the actual film. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Wow. Which is absolutely bonkers, but also ironic that it's 65 million. 
Um, yeah, that is insane. Uh, so the T-Rex roar, right? So there's, there was many different sources of this, right? So I've only taken the three main ones that seemed um, sort of consistent. So can anyone guess the combination of animal noises used to make the T-Rex roar? Is that a lion? a lion in there? What would a lion be if it was coloured in orange and black? What a cheat! A uh, tiger. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> so a tiger. Yeah, that's one of them. Is that a bonus question? There you go. I've never. Been, I've, you know, I've, I have never in my life been asked what would a lion be if it was called in orange and black. That's because you don't have a toddler. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A new, a new question. I think words <laughs> was in there somewhere. I'm going to. I'm, I'm actually going to. I'm going to text that question to my family group chat. <laughs> Just to see what they say. What do you call a lion dressed uh, painted this orange and black? For um, some reason, I had a lion in my head, so I don't know if from watching the making of documentary, it's somewhere in the region of like 10 or 11. I don't know, maybe that's just stuck in my head for some reason. What was that? No, I, I, I might have said the, the raptor was, um, there was quite a lot of different noises to create the raptor. I think the T Rex is a lot more um, stripped down. So a tiger's one of them. Uh, and I've got two more on the list. Anyone guess? Is there a walrus? So there's a so walrus is a they use the walrus as a raptor as one uh, of the raptors. I think uh, this is maybe quite Penguin. simple. But it was was a dog not involved with one of the using one of the dinosaur sounds? Dog was a raptor as well. Uh, it's, it's actually funny. Penguin? This isn't one of the. Uh, I think penguin was a raptor as well. They actually it's, it's fun. It's hilarious. One of the noises as well. Giraffe can't remember the chap's name. No, I can't remember the the chap's name. But one of his friends, they use a it's it's the noise where the raptor kind of goes. It's actually just a human voice making that noise. I love this the stuff like that. This sort of foley sounds they use. It's, it's amazing. Like speaking that, speaking of sounds, <clears throat> yeah. I, I just um, briefly the you know the the famous scene with the glass shaking in the car very slightly heralding the arrival of the T-Rex. Apparently that was one of the toughest scenes for them to film. They just couldn't find a way to do it, uh, to show that without there being something in the background. And that was, you might, you'll probably know this anyway, because I think it's quite famous, but that was done by plucking a guitar string under the, like looks like a plastic glass. I think they somehow got a guy beneath the dashboard of the car to literally pluck a guitar string. And it's as simple as that, but apparently they tried so much and they just couldn't get it to work. So apparently the the rumour is, uh, sorry, Steve, on you go. I was just going to add, just because I I just, how those those cars, they obviously made a deal with Ford. Obviously, they had a Ford, huge yeah. part of the... They got sponsorship from lots of different companies, but Ford were the ones that supplied those cars, and then I love the design of them. But um, obviously, they've got... It's meant to be robotic, but they're not actually. The driver is in the and trunk. The yeah. That is insane. I love that. Yeah. They were designed for the driver to be sitting in the trunk. Yeah. So, sorry, I just wanted to get that in there before you go into your... Uh, no, I was going to say, uh, Gordon, you're absolutely right. So, it's a chap called Michael Lantieri. Um, he was a special effects supervisor, and it basically came... They were struggling to get that sort of ripple effect because Spielberg kind of just wanted it like a kind of surface ripple. Um <laughs> And apparently the the base it, it was he was listening to Earth Wind and Fire in his car yeah, with the bass pumped right up, um, and it was he noticed that the it must have been a cup of water was actually making the ripple effect that he wanted in the film, so therefore Michael Lantieri basically was just underneath the dashboard, plucking a 
plucking the string, which is pretty cool. Uh, so anyway, back back to this. So uh, we've got a tiger. Uh, right, I'll give you a clue. Uh, it's very, very similar to a crocodile. Alligator. That's the one, right? And then it's if it's not an adult elephant. <laughs> what, a baby elephant? <laughs> I need to get better at my clues, man. Like, seriously. <laughs> What's that tiger painted? What's a blind painted orange and black? My God. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, right, okay, I'll do it. Fun facts. The thank end you, of Scott. Jurassic Black. So remember, Steve, um, play the theme song when to, to, to close it out. Right? Uh, yeah, I'll find a theme song. I don't know what the hell it'll be. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah okay so I don't know we probably should try and wrap this up um, there's probably lots we haven't covered that I've been meaning to talk about um, I'm just going to look quickly at the uh, list we've covered we've covered music uh, score and general I've writing got a of things. sorry Steve I was going to say a couple of things on just very quickly on uh, SLJ's character I know I keep calling him SLJ but it's easier just to say that for short um, but it's Arnold or mm-hmm. Ray they call him is his nickname for short so he Samuel Jackson was meant to actually have a more a uh, graphic death scene shot, um, but there was an actual hurricane, uh, and you actually see the Spielberg actually used the footage from the real life hurricane that hit Hawaii while yeah. they were filming, and it basically just trashed the set. So Samuel Jackson couldn't fly to the set to film it, but Spielberg maintains that if they were able to film it, it would have been in the film type thing. Um, I, I actually quite like the fact that you don't see it. I think that adds to the film, to be honest. Yeah, it's again, it's um, less is more almost. Like yeah, it doesn't well, I think it is. The, like the Jaws effect, really. I mean, that's what I thought because similar to Jaws, you, it's the, the unseen, um, like monster, as it were, is actually Spielberg found in Jaws was more effective than just you know showing it right off. And the you know, yeah. I think it, it can't be a coincidence that Spielberg had the same thing applied here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Even with the Velociraptors at the right at the very beginning, because you don't see it, you hear it, and you, you maybe see an eye or something. It's really affected. Yeah, I think we've uh, Scott. I don't know if you want to say more on Ray's character, or I mean, I could, but it's it's cool. Yeah. Um. Essentially, I think we've kind of probably covered the majority of the 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 actual characters. Maybe John Hammond. We could maybe just do a little bit more on just because. I think I'm reading into it, Spielberg changed the character in the book. He is much more villainous and is killed at the end. He gets his comeuppance, yeah. and they obviously softened him and made him a bit more relatable, a bit more of a gray, a grayer character, which I quite like. He's got that sort of um, softer, like a Disney, side. yeah, like a, like a kind of, I don't know, like a kind of Walt, kind of Walt Disney character where you, I don't know. You kind of want to love him if you were like a young kid or whatever. You see him as that kind of really nice old man. He's dressed in white. Yeah. Kind of almost fucking Gandalf-esque. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's a great character. And I just don't, I can't see Sean Connery in the role. I feel like Richard, Ham- uh, Richard Attenborough uh, is, was perfect for it. Um, before we go on to the ratings, I feel like there's a, just a few key scenes I want to kind of just talk about. Um sort of just give them a bit more focus so i don't know if we've i mean we've talked about elements of the t-rex paddock scene but just the that build-up and just general you know the general the general film techniques that spielberg used to get the tension and ratchet that up i feel like we just need to maybe give a little you know talk about that because to me that's one of the things that this film's greatest strength the fact that first of all they reference the t-rex you have a t-rex 
oh you, mm. yes i have a t-rex and there's that kind of oh wow a t-rex what, what does that mean what that sounds mm. like that's quite a big deal and we haven't seen anything like it throughout must be a good near close to the hour mark in the film and you know then it's that fantastic scene the the, the rain the torrential weather it's nighttime now and the two you know two vans are just sitting there like i just i just feel like that is one of the best scenes spielberg was fantastic there yeah it's, ter- it's, it's terrifying like even at the thought where you know where they are you know what's going to happen yeah you 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 kind of know what's going to happen, but you you don't know how it's going to play out. But you you've just got that. The film just takes such a dramatic turn, and you just end up now now that all the magic and whimsical sort of you know elements of the film and even the score just drops, and it's kind of like wow, this this isn't going to end well. Um, I don't know if he's noticed as well. Spielberg actually uses he doesn't use CinemaScope aspect ratio, so there's not ever you, know, you get the kind of standard sort of. Uh, not widescreen um you get the full screen that was a deliberate uh like technique to see more of the more of the film or, or the trying to get more of the grandeur sort of dinosaur just as much dinosaur on the on the, the screen as possible i thought that was quite cool steve on your sort of re or so i suppose like as you said first watch what was your experience like up to this point with the film of well, previous experience yeah uh, just so you were you're you were sort of watching this you said kind of almost it felt like for the first time you don't really have much memory of it so no i the, didn't so the, yeah the t-rex paddock section then like what was your kind of i take it you were obviously liking it but what was your thoughts on it yeah so i mean as i mentioned the way that they build up the tension is fantastic so um i mean the as you mentioned you go through a, a large chunk of the film not seeing this yeah. um I mean, it's, it's it's quite an old technique. You you talk about something for so long without seeing it, it builds up the tension, and then you've got um, the sort of reactions and the movements. And yeah, I mean, it, it still it still made me jump. It was I thought it was it was fantastic, yeah. just exceptionally well. And I, I, I suppose I do keep going back to the fact this was ninety three. There was nothing really like it around at the time, and it, it the fact that it still stands up today is of massive testament to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the, I found it fascinating. Mm-hmm. I think the, the the techniques that he used, and I don't know if you guys noticed it as well, right? But when you when you start the film and we and the humans are interacting with the dinosaurs, the humans are kind of shot from above, looking down to the to the dinosaurs. Like for example, you've got the you've got the the, the scene where the dinosaurs have been born. So all the humans are kind of looking over. You've got the triceratops where all the humans are kind of mm-hmm. you know grants on top of the dinosaur and all that kind of stuff. I think the shift then goes from the and, and even in the raptor scene as well, they're above the cage, they're looking down into the cage. Um, I love the, the the switch and how he changes the cinematography and the, the actual shooting of the film yeah. and the dinosaurs are then out. In that scene with the T Rex, the majority of the scenes are actually shot from within the cars looking out. So see the T see when the T Rex kind of look almost looks into Malcolm and Grant, you are the camera is behind them. So it's 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 like a frame within a frame, mm-hmm. and I think that's how he he manages to sp- switch between practical and CGI effects so well because he actually uses the structure of the car to transition between practical and CGI, and I, I, I love the change in dynamic where the dinosaurs are now either towering over the humans or on the same level as the humans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's any obviously even. Fast forward into the the raptor scene where some of it 
well, kind of looks a wee bit hokey. Like the, the raptors running, where you see the two, the, the you know the 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 feet on the ground. That doesn't age well at all. It's quite clearly just a human with their hands and two puppets, um, because the the feet don't move like actual feet. If that makes sense, they're just very clunky um, and hit very flat. But even the di- even the direction where you don't actually see the the dinosaur run, you just see the feet and the claws running towards Timmy in the freezer. Um, those kind of things is just terrifying, and and that's a note to um, is it Dean Cundy who was the cinematographer? Yeah, um, and obviously Spielberg for for that direction. I think it's um, fantastic, like the immersion of like you were talking about the in the car you feel like you're in the car with them like that's yeah. that's the important thing about it obviously you could say that about most films but there's something about the feeling of just being in these well-lit cars with the darkness and the, the danger outside as a kid that really affected me where i would play with my little jurassic park cars and and, and turn the lights <laughs> off and put a torch yeah. inside and then like sort of recreate the scene and imagine this rain and these dinosaurs but there's the safety net is inside the car but obviously it it goes away like it's terrifying and and it's again it's like you you talk about spielberg and david cope toning down or moving away from the 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 graphic side of the novel and uh, you know blood and gore james cameron actually spoke about he was actually hours away from from winning the film's rights and he said his jurassic park film would be even more brutal, basically like an aliens uh, film with with dinosaurs. I mean, um, I, I kind of also want to see that, but like, I'll, I'll love what we got. <laughs> uh, but uh, but you know, Spielberg. There's obviously not the blood and gore, but it's just the way he films it. There's so much tension, and I think that's the thing that I find is missing from modern films. It's just that it's that sense of dread, that sense of tension, the immersion. Now you're kind of seeing dinosaur films. You're just seeing the full thing. Sorry, you said. Sorry, um, you you said um, James Cameron, didn't you? Um, did James was James Cameron involved in Terminator Two? He directed it. Yeah, and did he not? Did he not direct The Abyss as well? Nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that yeah, because I was trying to remember the James Cameron film I mentioned earlier, which was one of the first films with notable CGI. Was The Abyss, and then Terminator Two, which was two years before this. Okay. Interestingly enough. Uh, ILM Industrial Light Management, who's who done the CGI for Jurassic Park, also done the Abyss and uh, Terminator Two. Um, the other scene I wanted to give a bit of focus to was the kitchen scene. I don't know how much we've spoken about it. Um, Sorry, I Steve. Feel like, yeah, can we just go back and talk about the massive plot hole? And I mean the literal plot hole or plot gorge. Oh right, and, okay, yeah. In the Jurassic Park scene. Right, right, so we were talking about this before the cast, uh, and the sort of little things that don't quite make sense. And as a, as some uh, on my rewatchings over the years, I've never understood the logistics of that T Rex pen, because the car. Right, so Scott, are you wanting to say it? You were you were brought it up. Well, it's it's one of these ones where you see the goat, right, and the goat's at eye level. You see the T Rex when it bursts out. He is quite clearly on the same level as the as the cars, mm. right? He's not dipped down. He's not climbed up the wall or anything like that, right? But when the car is pushed over, there just somehow happens to be this ginormous forty foot drop <laughs> yeah. out of nowhere. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although the T Rex is big, it's like you literally wouldn't be able to see its head if it was standing on the ground. And then 
the same sort of plot hole when it's kind of one of the bits where I, I really didn't like I didn't like it being in the film was when Ellie Sattler and the gang come back to try and find Grant and the kids and she looks down and goes oh I can see the car but but when the car falls you can clearly see it falls and there's so much greenery and trees how she can see it from there I don't know because it's so so deep but she gets down there in like seconds well perceived seconds probably well within the about, film but you know what I mean yeah. it's kind of like could have been so two hours it, it could have been two hours, so does that mean Jeff Goldblum sitting in that car talking to himself for two hours? I think so. That's the only way my head canon was that that was a good couple of hours have passed. Yeah. And now well, the other minor thing, to myself. The other minor thing about that, all that, though, is um, it well, seems to... Remember when all the big tropical storm looks as if it's about to start and you see the clouds starting to gather? It goes from light to dark very quickly. Although, I don't know, I mean, are you meant to assume that so much time's elapsed and it's actually quite number of miles in it and drive back to like the visitor center it just it seems to go pitch black very quickly and you just well, think like the, i thought it was meant to be quite nearby well that's it the it, it changes quite i suppose the weather can do that especially when you're in somewhere like um you know hawaii where it can be like you know the tropical hurricanes can just literally go from um you know zero to a hundred in, in minutes but yeah you can tell the weather because Gennaro shits himself when the, the lightning happens when they're at the Triceratops, like you hear the thunder and he kind of goes, Ooh. and it's like, right, let's go back to the car shot. Yeah, and in some places, so the darkness can come quickly as well, I suppose. Yes, I, I don't necessarily mind that. I think the the gorge at the T-Rex paddock has always just been like, and it's obviously cool because it adds the tension. It allows the, the car to be flipped over with Timmy inside it. And I'm sorry, Timmy is basically a cat because how that boy did not die first yep. of all falling you know in the car uh into that tree and i'm sorry he is toast when he gets hit with that fucking electric fence he is there's dead. a lot of convenience going on there ah, yeah. he is, yeah. is yeah. ten thousand volts it's quite a lot isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not pins and needles you, when you yeah, put it like that when you put that. it like that golden eye <laughs> 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 it's like it, it, I, I don't even i mean don't get me wrong, I don't know how, but I don't even think he would get zapped back. I just think if the, when the electricity hit, he would he would he would stay on the fence, but he would just cook. Would yeah. he not? See, see if you're um, see if you're one James of the, Cameron's version. <laughs> I was about to say, like, if you're within probably like a meter of, uh, I know this is probably like twenty five thousand volts, like a overhead wire on a railway line. If you're even within the vicinity of that, let alone touching it, you get a, you you would just get sort of burnt by the i don't yeah, know what it is just yeah, you don't even need yeah. to be near it so like i see where you're coming from well so if a seven-year-old boy can survive it you know it doesn't really seem that kind of robust to keep out these monsters mm. you know what i mean uh, and again I that's do, probably uh, what added to hammond's lawsuit well i don't i don't think the dinosaurs were meant to be instantly killed by the fences i think they were it was just meant to give them a wee bit of a shock and make them walk away I bet but you'd need that, a gigantically Grant, strong Grant, fence to... They remember. I was about to say, that was the line I was going to use. <laughs> they never attack the same place twice. <laughs> they remember. I think, I think, even, I think that there was a basis for, like, I don't I don't know if there was research showed they were very intelligent. I was, although I do think um, that in reality, were Velociraptors not meant to have been, when they did live, they were much smaller than they were. Yeah. But I think, I think though, they used, um, they used the sort of artistic license 
quite well. And the fact that, again, I still don't think anything was too far-fetched. Yeah. We're not all paleontologists watching the film. Well, it's meant to appeal to the general public. Velociraptors, I've read, were way smaller, almost the size of turkeys. Yeah. And there has since been, since the film, raptors, I think they're called, which essentially are the same size as the velociraptors. So mm-hmm. there was animals like the velociraptors in the film, apparently, um, but they weren't called velociraptors. Or, well, I suppose they didn't refer to themselves as velociraptors back then. No. Uh, but <laughs> what we call just, velociraptors. Yeah, he just wanted them to be, he just wanted them to be bigger, but he still wanted the movements to be very chicken like, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of head, the head kind of bobbing back and forth type thing. Um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like I was aware of a T Rex, but I had no idea what a Velociraptor was. No. And to and and to see that on the screen, it's kind of like they're basically like fucking land sharks. Like they are so deadly because that was always the thing that terrified me. Like kind of I don't know, you know, role playing you're outside and stuff like that. It's like the T Rex was always a fun thing because it's like you know, oh, don't move, can't see you if you don't move. So you can kind of you think you can survive it, but there's just there's just nothing getting away from a raptor. Like its sense, smell, hunting ability, it's just aye, it's so like that kind of unstoppable force. That's why I wanted to quickly just talk a little about the the kitchen scene before we get to the ratings. Essentially, that to me was one of those moments where you, I mean, because I think Spielberg has done this. There's a similar scene in the War of the Worlds. That reminds me of the kitchen scene where you've got a char- two characters, or at least maybe might even one in World of the Worlds, sort of stuck with a some sort of presence that's trying to capture them. Uh, in the War of the Worlds, it was the the huge I don't know what was the the sort of eye thing that was. Is that in the house? It's in the house yeah, scene, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it always and, reminded and me of the kitchen scene. I felt like it was a yeah. callback to it, and that sort of like it's snaking around trying to capture the character. Um, Tom Cruise's character, I think. So, and this it's obviously the two raptors, which I just love. You know, it's the two the two kids, and obviously you you kind of know in this film that the kids aren't going to die. So there's always mm. that kind of sense that they're not actually going to die, but there's still creative ways they do to create this tension and and make you feel like there is actual some jeopardy here and i i love it it's and it, there's even little moments of it's funny like there's a bit you know with with the raptor running towards the the actual the reflection and banging its head and that's kind it's of cover. yeah, yeah it's, it's like thinking out the box and it fools you because it, it like as an audience member it's like you're like oh shit she's 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 gone she's done but it's when the when the raptor hits the kind of the you're just like wow. And like, you know what's great about that is it, it equates the intelligence of the raptors with the audience's intelligence <laughs> because you realise if I could be tricked by that, yeah, that's how clever these beasts <laughs> are. It's like a reverse trick. It's really well done. But yeah, it's totally linked to that scene in War of the Worlds. And in fact, War of the Worlds employs other techniques that are there as well, such as like not seeing. No, you know, there's that scene in War of the Worlds where the aliens are over the hill and the army's mm. going towards them, and you don't really see the battle that much. Yeah, you just mm. see the kind of aftermath of the destruction, I suppose. Yeah, and the fire over, or the, the sounds of it and the whatever that's going on. Um, I do think War of the Worlds, I, I mean, obviously I don't want to go too much into a different film, but I feel that War, War of the Worlds is another one that could have been a bit, could have been better, but I feel like it was on the same, you know, he was using the very much the same playbook. Yeah, I, I, I've got a soft spot for that film. I think it's really. I, good. I liked it. I, I do think it missed the mark a couple of times, yeah. but 
Um, more so than Jurassic Park did, but yeah, it's a very, very tight film for sure. It's probably on characters, maybe or something. It's not quite as as good, but um, on yeah. on Jurassic Park, yeah, the the kitchen scene <sighs> is up there with one of my favourites, and and the final sort of battle is a bit nuts with them dangling off of all the the stuff. I feel like uh, a couple of those characters would have broken some legs and backs falling from the, the scaffolding. Uh, you know, some creative liberties there, but. It's all, it's all an fun. interesting scene. Even Lex falls, you know, they're up in the vents and she falls down. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously, and again, I spoke about the frame within a frame. Like the way it's positioned, it's looking down, it's looking through the 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 grate where Lex has fell, but you still see the, the raptor in shot getting back up. Uh-huh. Another brilliant technique for Spielberg. But actually, it was one of the first, it was one of the first times in a film that they've used um like animation to, to put the real actor's face over a stunt double. So when so when, yeah, the, girl, saw that oh, yeah. when the when the girl falls it's the stunt double's body, but they superimposed I don't know what her name is, is it Ariana Richards? Something like that. Something Richards can't remember. But they, they basically put her face on it, but it's so funny, see when the film slowed down <laughs> when she's getting up it basically just merges. Oh, really? <laughs> you don't really see it live action. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of wee kind of moments like that where it's it's not fully refined. For example, it was one. There was what? See when the raptor jumps up on the kitchen top and interacts with the the pots. The pots fall off. You can actually see the CGI just going through the pot. Like it's it's not refined as such, but listen. Yeah, it's there. Uh, it, we things like that. I suppose it's nitpicking. It's the same as the Gallimimus when they're running away from the T Rex. You can kind of see some of them just running straight through the tree. Really, the, the plant and the, the kids are hiding behind. So, but again, that's nitpicking. Yeah. Okay, dokie. Right. Let's start with ratings. And Fran, you chose this film. You want to start? Yeah. Um. You know it's. I think similar to when we were talking about Robocop, you know, I was saying I didn't really find many flaws. I don't feel that the flaws that are uh, discussed, of which I agree, <clears throat> I actually acknowledge them. I don't feel that they're enough to take away anything from this in terms of the score, because I feel that no matter what someone tried to produce, it would never be perfect. It can only be as close to perfect as can be. And I think... Jurassic Park stands up there with other modern classics as a five out of five film. I think it's a film that you could, you know, and, and you know, I did this many a time when I was younger. I'd go out to the pub, have a few beers. I said this with Robocop. It's one of those films on when I got home with my Mr. Kebab, I'd stick on either Robocop, uh, Terminator, Jurassic Park, Terminator 2, Jurassic Park, these kinds of films, and I'd sit in and watch it. And I wouldn't need to think too much because I knew it inside out. I think... The fact that I've got such a strong memory of seeing it in the cinema when I was seven years old. It's a visceral memory of a couple of parts of the film. From the music to the special effects to the acting to the storytelling, I feel that it's about as good a film as you're ever going to get, basically. So five out of five from me. Excellent. Okie dokie. Scott? Like I said at the start, uh, zero stars out of five because uh, it inspired people to write Jurassic World sequels. Mm, yeah, yeah. Oh, Listen, uh, echoing what Fran said, uh, like this is this was like you 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 know you try and put yourself back to 1993, even as a young kid, 
there was no reference material to this. It was the first of its kind. It was literally a moment in movie history. Um, the achievement that they made was just un, it was groundbreaking at the time and it still holds up to today. And it's amazing when you think even back, I wasn't obviously alive when Star Wars A New Hope. When you think of these moments in movie history when it's like, you know, Star Wars A New Hope was just, there was, there was no real, su- you know, subject matter or re- reference matter to, you know, think it was maybe even just Flash Gordon at a push. Do you think back to those moments where it's just like, this is, this is history in the making, literally. Um, and I think Jurassic Park is one of those films. And I would probably even say that there's loads, obviously, films that you could say. I think Everywhere, Everything Everywhere All at Once is probably the most modern film that I could say. You know, unfortunately, I didn't watch it in a cinema, but it's like when you watch a film, you kind of go, my God, I'm going to remember this moment for the rest of my life because it literally is a unique moment in uh, you know, movie history, as I said. There is points where now you look at it from a critical eye, but like Fran said, there's it, it's so trivial to the to the, the, the standard and the, the grandeur that Steven Spielberg made for this film, and it's without a doubt a five out of five. Yep. Steve? This is a five-star film for me, I think. <clears throat> it's, I mean, overall, it's fun. I had a lot of fun watching this. Um, I, I know I'm coming, I've, I've obviously come to it quite late, because I'm like I, said, I may have watched it once before, but it all felt very new to me. And it was just really enjoyable. It's a perfectly concise story from start to finish, so there was no getting lost. It was dead easy. There's absolutely no doubt that it's revolutionary. Consider, I, I, I consistently come back to the year that it was released and the technology and the um, sort of digital and model effects that were used. It just, it's, it's just mind-blowing. And it's the characters are great. They're relatable. You can relate to them. The sense of realism with this film is, I think, what really makes it. We talk a lot about the the tension and why it's frightening. A lot of that, I think, comes from the fact that it is so real and it's the setup. The when you have a lot of the sort of science talk at the start, you might not kind of know what they're talking about exactly when they're talking about the specific plants and the dinosaurs. But these people know their stuff, and it makes you feel along with the the way that it's shot, where you, it's almost shot from that first-person perspective where you, you've got dinosaurs coming at you, whatever. It all feels real. It's kind of the opposite to, you know, if you watch a film with, I don't know, aliens coming to space and they're blowing the place up. It's cool to watch, but it's not scary because you know in your head that's not real. That this feels like you could physically be there. It's so spectacularly done. And that's the cinematography and the dialogue working in tandem. And then on top of that, you've got this incredible soundtrack and the sound effects. It's pretty much flawless. There are the annoyances, I think, for me, were the the conveniences a lot of the time. Little Timmy escaping death more than, you know, like a Tom and Jerry film. <laughs> you've got uh, just certain, certain characters turning up in place and you go, hang on, how did they get there? That doesn't, you've missed out a chunk of something. It felt a bit convenient at times. But beyond that... Um, you can't really give Jurassic Park any less than five. I think that would be a travesty. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just quickly on that, Steve. You said about characters turning up very convenient random points, right? See the dig scene when the when Hammond's helicopter lands. How does he get to that trailer as quick as he does? Well, no, he doesn't look too quick in his feet, but I'm sure he just. <laughs> <laughs> Lands, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's actually, they're, they're not even that far away. They can see the helicopter, and there's nowhere for Hammond to hide. 
and then no. almost all of a sudden, it's almost as if the helicopter swung by earlier, dropped Hammond off, <laughs> and then circled around the yeah. back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took it as like there's, it was like two helicopters, like one it was a decoy didn't... helicopter. Yeah, hey. Similar, so Hammond is basically so the T Rex took a leaf out of Hammond's book, where it's like <laughs> at the end of the film, where it's just like he just tiptoes quietly into the into the trailer. They learn. <laughs> they, re- they remember. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It, it does fall apart a little when you start thinking of this stuff. The T Rex at the end for me is the one that's uh, <laughs> never going to be they, forgotten. And they can the banner that falls. Mm. Well, um, I mean, it's a great shot. With the banner yeah. it's fantastic with the roar but well, sorry i know we're going to get to gordon's one of the actual uh when we were talking about laura dern what i forgot to mention was she has a brilliant line so when goldblum's saying i can't remember what what he says it's like uh god creates men mm. men creates dinosaurs dinosaurs eat men or something like that and then uh, ellie focuses on her and it's like dinosaurs eat men Women inherits the earth. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. just look at and then she jumps out. Amazing. She just jumps out of the car. That's hilarious. Amazing. Ah, so good. So good. Uh Gordon then, what's your rating for this film? Well, I've I've seen a lot of Spielberg's work and um some of his work is some of the best films I've seen. Now again, I'll I'll say like Jaws is like his very best film, but I think Jurassic Park runs it quite close. Uh, it's a five out of five for me. I think um, I mean it's really helped again. He's teamed up with John Williams. His score is spectacular. Um, it's a very well researched film. I mean the dinosaurs have a lot of credibility. The the action, the characters have a lot of credibility. Cool characters, but they're believable. Um, there's also like a great subplot going on as well with Dennis Nedry and the stealing of the embryos, which um, gives it that extra level. And he, he's also another great character. There, I, I do love that, just that that feeling of foreboding. You know, oh, there's a storm coming. You know, um, the and how they they portray that on screen, for example. Um, you know, there's so many small things. A great blend of as we've touched upon, CGI, and I, I, I'm the sort of guy that is very critical of a lot of CGI, especially in modern day, where it just sticks out a sore thumb, but it, it seemed to work quite well here, but the animatronics were, were very, very good as well. Um, as I said, like, um, you know, a particularly, a, a particular highlight, like I said, was Sam Neill and um, Laura Dern's performances, um, and the, I even like the fact, like, the parks, it's testing stage, it's, you know, it's just quite a clever idea. It's not even open to the public. It kind of gives that extra edge, and it's the fact it's not it's not like a story of victory. It's kind of like a disaster story, almost like Titanic or something like that. And yeah, I go I go back as well to things like you know the one liners, subtle humour which you can often forget. It's just um, great action. Just um, it's fantastic. I mean, and the, you know the criticisms are pretty small. It's you know, like, I guess the only other things I could say I didn't mention earlier was I thought, like, with Nedry, the whole um, discussion that Hammond has with him about, I'm not going to debate your financial affairs with you, Dennis, or whatever he says, like, I'm not getting drawn into another financial argument. So there's clearly a history there. You would, I always thought, should they not been a bit suspicious in Nedry? Because he disappears for a long time and they seem to just think, oh, I was just checking the systems or something. Like, I thought they might start to click. It's not bad, but the whole, the way he sneaks out stealthily is really good. Um, I think and all that. Been, they were just glad to see him gone for a moment, yeah. I think. 
Yeah, you know yeah, it's not it's not a big thing, man. Do you not think it's hilarious that Nedry is he is working at a theme park that has dinosaurs in it, and he seems just so disgruntled. It's like fucking somebody. <laughs> it's like somebody working at like fucking T-Mobile, yeah. complaining about getting paid. It's like this guy is working in a theme park with fucking dinosaurs. Yeah, and it's just almost as if it's like the the novelty of of even that even that achievement has worn off, and he's just interested in the money. It's fucking hilarious. I know. Yeah. Oh, uh... Well, I suppose what is it? Dodson's given him what is it? One and a half million to get the embryos. Um. So I suppose one and a half million or whatever, but it's like, my God, man, he's like, he just doesn't care. <laughs> it's like somebody that's been in a call centre for 15 years. It's like, you're fucking working at Jurassic Park. <laughs> I'm totally not appreciating yeah, my own time. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's, but again, that, yeah, it added, it added to the humour. Um, it, it, most of that worked for me. Um, it's not a big deal, like I said. I just thought maybe at some point they might get a bit more suspicious of him. I suppose just the only other thing, um, like... I mean, I thought Hammond, maybe, when his kids didn't come back after a long time, maybe, he seemed a bit, like, carefree when it came to his grandchildren at certain times. Like, they've retained a very long time, but at this point it's pitch black, and he, he didn't seem to be thinking so much. But you would think, like, I just thought, like, they would have, like, some emergency car, like maybe Samuel Jackson or someone who wasn't working the computer could go out after them. I just thought it was a bit strange they were sort of left there. But, like, I mean, that's a minor thing, and that's, that's when you start going into real minute detail about, you know almost trying to put it in a real life terms but yeah i just I had such a blast watching it it's um top well, top 1990s uh, modern day film yeah i suppose hammond he he does say to Muldoon, um get take a car and go bring back my my grandchildren and i think that's that's when they because they don't know what's happened in the t-rex paddock yeah that is, they're, 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 is the emergency vehicle yeah they're they're unaware so he's like take the emergency vehicle and go and break my grandchildren yeah was, was that not quite a bit later though was that when he goes and then that's when he picks up malcolm i, I just thought like a bit earlier than that it's like it's it's gone from been the afternoon to the evening it was pitch black i think I better check on them i think uh, but, there was also a line cut during the the section when they were getting into the cars they filmed it as well because i've seen it um sort of rough footage of it where Malcolm questions Hammond as to why he is putting his children on this test run with mm. live dinosaurs is and Hammond says oh um it's just it'll be fine it's all secure but also they need this their parents are going through a divorce they need to so it's ah, actually right. a wee bit of yeah, character right. development there but they, they cut the line um I think it's, it's when they're walking down the stairs yeah, isn't it yeah Aye. So it's interesting, sort of that, and obviously it shows that one of the characters was at least thinking to question him, like, "Is this a mm. good idea? I don't know. Your first test, really?" Um, I suppose when you think about Hammond, it's like any, it's like any. He he just needs the he needs as much endorsement as he possibly can, like in order to kind of get it past the money men. So if the kids are going to give ten out of ten stars as well as the, you know, what I mean, he's he, he's got that sort of. I don't know, market research, if you will, to just say, well, they they loved it and whatever. I do love, um, I know that I should be talking about the ratings, but just right before I start, um, I do love the anticipation that is building when they're all in the cars and everyone's just about to go and it's like, okay, we're on. It's, and it, there's that kind of, you can sense between Arnold and Hammond, they are really worried that actually that hmm. they're not prepared for this and they know the dangers. And it's, uh, it's unsaid. Yeah. 
That's the thing I say about carefree. Like he's, he takes a lot of risks, Hammond, doesn't he? It's like he knows it's going to go wrong, but he's like, we'll just do it anyway and hope for the best. Oh, he's shocking. Is that video I watched last night? confirms he's terrible like he's a terrible businessman terrible organization uh, it's even um like that uh, yeah you're, you're absolutely right the tension in that fucking control room is uh, like you could cut it with a knife because yeah. slj is on his he's he's tense he's kind of like oh i fucking need to do this it's a hurricane so muldoon's hitting out where we should have put locking mechanisms on a vehicle dog <laughs> one five <laughs> add one five eight like... to the list of things bugs need to fix. <laughs> There's just so much. Nedry's obviously doing his thing. He had to he had to debug the 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 headlights or something like that. They're getting on his case, and even the fear. Like as much as the the the, the safety checks have been done, when I watched it last night, it's, it's Muldoon's reaction. It's like quiet, all of you, uh-huh. going to the Tyrannus paddock, as if there if there is an immediate threat by them on this tour going past the part of the tour that they should be going past. Yeah, it's like. Can chill out, man. I know it's brilliant, masterful. Uh, and that was only two. That was two cars. Yeah, that was two cars. You imagine that that was open. Well, I suppose it, it does open eventually, but that's a um, different story for another day. Amazing writing, and and to start with me and my score, uh, this is one of those films that, as I was rewatching this film, because I've always said Goodfellas probably number one, maybe Aliens two, and then a bunch of others are fighting for the other films there. As I rewatched this film, I started thinking this might be my favorite film of all time like i so i'm giving it a five quite clearly um this is one of those films where i just can't believe how good every single scene is like every single scene to me nearly works almost without flaw apart from the uh, t-rex at the end which is ridiculous but Mm. um yeah i just i love it i love the writing i love the snappiness i love how pacey this film is every scene has a function every little uh and no character is wasted i feel like everyone has the little moments that are are great and obviously the dinosaurs the 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 technology used the groundbreaking effect this film had uh the techniques used still mostly stand up re-watching this film like 20 odd years later yeah or yeah nearly 30 god something like that it's a long time (laughs) and I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I just love it. The score, John Williams' score, all these things you guys have said. I'm repeating a lot of it. Um, you know, and the, the ensemble nature of this film, the the Jeff Goldblum and, and, and Laura Dern, these characters are fantastic. And I just, it's a thrill. It works as a, it works as a monster film. This is like a monster film, but it also works as a family action adventure film, a thriller. It works on so many levels. And it's comedy. It's, it's horror. And it's it's just this is the like I think you said it, Scott, to about maybe uh, speaking specifically about the soundtrack. But I feel like if you were to kind of cliche thing to say what is cinema, like to me, mm. this is the film that you show you show what what represents cinema best. This film to me is that it's the reason I had the novelization as a kid, and I had you know it was telling you behind the scenes stuff, and it was also telling you you know it was a novelization so it was going through the scenes but also had lots of pictures i fell in love with it the aesthetic of the of the the film and all the characters but also learning about the behind the scenes this is the first time i ever heard about the the word the director this mythical character that creates the film what's a director dad oh he's the guy that made it so suddenly spielberg was this synonymous with and, and rightly so with fantastic films like this is what this film did for me it made me realize there's 
someone makes this stuff. And yeah, to to cut a long story short, uh, I fell in love with it. It made me think maybe I could become a director, and never did, obviously. Um, but I it kind of was aspirational. And to think of all the directors that have seen this, all the other people that have got into films because of this film, there is a lot, many directors, I'm not going to go through them all, but there was a lot that have said they saw this film and it then started them to think maybe we can, I can do this. And Well, there's, sorry Steve, there's actually a, I suppose, a, a debate that Michael Crichton obviously wrote the book, he directed Westworld. There's almost a debate where Steven Spielberg basically just took the general sort of premise of Westworld and added dinosaurs. Probably. I mean, very, very, yeah. very similar. Very similar. Oh yeah, and it's not—it's not to say that the film is the most original film. He has, has said his influences were. I think there was a King Kong uh, film from the nineteen fifties that he'd borrowed a the, lot from, and things like that. He's modernized door, a lot of think, concepts. Yeah, I think it was the the, the main sort of Jurassic Park. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, I love that. Like entrance door is is very very uh, similar to the King Kong. And, Goldblum, um, did they even reference it. What's he got in there? King Kong? King Kong. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's a fantastic film, and it's one of those films where I can watch that film. I can watch that film anytime. Like, I, 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 I almost want to watch it again. Um, it's so good. And obviously, it has its moments, little dated things, but they are nitpicks of nitpicks uh, in, a, in a film that is, you know, cinematic perfection pretty much so yes five stars from me and i think this might be the first time ever on our podcast where i think all five of us have given a full five stars uh or, or at least a full i don't even think four people have maybe given yeah. five stars all yeah. round i think that wait was robocop not a unanimous five stars no gordon no Steve i gave it four what no right we'll need to do that podcast again then yeah let's go for three more hours guys <laughs> you obviously uh, I don't think me and Fran done it enough justice in that last one. We need to do it again, Fran. You're up for it. <laughs> yeah, what we'll do to this book a weekend. <laughs> aye, aye, absolutely. And then we'll do I would it. Say, I would say I enjoyed, like, but sometimes when you reflect, because I had just seen that for the first time, when you reflect a week later, it's like, I enjoyed that. Like, I want to see it more now, but I would still give it four stars. <laughs> but I like it a little bit better. I love you were setting us up there as if maybe that was going to be a five. Here he goes, here he goes. Nah, yeah, still awful. Right, guys, <laughs> this has been a, a long one again. So this is going to have to be the end of this cast. It's been fun going over this film. I think we've covered a fair amount of what uh, we were wanting to discuss, really. There's not much left, probably. Um, if there is, we'll edit in post. Um, but yeah, this has been fun. We will be back for another film chosen by someone else in a month's time. And in between, we're going to try and do our, our, our next couple of weeks, we'll try and do our film catch-ups and maybe try and fit in. Uh, I think we're going to do The Last Crusade at some point. We'll try and get that somewhere. And we're looking at another film to maybe do. But definitely we'll be back in a month's time at least for another spoiler special Deja Review. Of course, you can check out our stuff. Check out older podcasts on the website, K-A-P-W-E-S-H. That's capiche.online. And of course, you can check out our the rest of the stuff on uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere. We're on a lot of different podcast services. So check us out on that. Leave some comments. Give us, uh, give us some likes, shares, all that kind of stuff. That'd 
be really appreciated if you enjoyed it of course if you didn't then well just don't say anything and we'll be fine with that you don't need to leave negative comments we're good with that honestly um but uh yeah no thank you guys thanks for joining me we'll be back and see you next time bye-bye <laughs> bye-bye <laughs>